was listening to this one podcast that <laughs> the Star Wars podcast. Which one? I'm not going to tell you, Tim. Is it mine? <laughs> no, no, it's not yours. It's like this guy has one of the most pedantic, freaking boring voices <laughs> in the world. And it's just like... You are hearing me talk. <laughs> yeah, it's just like... Okay, so next up we have um, DC announced today over at Yahoo.com <laughs> that they are starting production on... And then <laughs> there, there will be that weird silence. Uh-huh. And then he'll go over to his next story, and he'll be like, That's it. and then Terry <laughs> Kelly is coming back into uh, the, the uh, main continuity of DC Comics, and then there will be that awkward time to get in his way. He's like, what's going on here? I mean, seriously? No, it's like that. You're better off just reading the story for yourself. Rival! It's another Bad Fans Podcast. This is episode number... Come on, Dane. 20. My internet is loading the stuff right now. <laughs> seven, 27. This there is episode you go. number 27. <laughs> I was on a roll there. You know, I, I got the last two down, but, but this one I just dropped the ball. Um, I wasn't going to help you this time, because you did it so good before. <laughs> um... But yeah, this is the Bat Fans Podcast. This is the least listened to Batman Universe podcast <laughs> on uh, the BatmanUniverse.net. I mean, pe- more people listen to the Taking Flight podcast than they do this podcast. And I, I just went, went into a deep, deep depression this past week when I realized that, when I brought up my iTunes. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just sad. It's so, so sad, but it's not so sad because, um, I mean, I guess I get to talk, or we get to talk Batman and stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> wow, thanks for the reassurance. <laughs> no, um, we we have Tim with us. Tim, yes, how's it going, man? Good good to be back after I missed the last episode. It was only one episode, but it yeah. felt like I've been away for a while, so <laughs> good to talk with you guys again. Yeah, and you've lost all your Star Wars credibility. Uh, don't remind me. This, <laughs> this podcast for two people out there. I mean, I don't have a question in front of you, but if you can tell us, I mean, in front of me, but if you can tell us one thing we didn't know about Star Wars, that you know about Star Wars, that would uh, reaffirm your Star Wars fandom. Well, did you know the original plan Lucas had for Qui-Gon in Episode One? Yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> It's because you don't know. <laughs> okay. It was a, he was originally actually going to be Obi-Wan in that movie. And then right. at, at the end, his Padawan, who was still played by Ewan McGregor, would take on the name Obi-Wan after he died to honor his master, which is something I never knew when the movie was originally coming out. I thought I knew all like the back history stuff and what the early drafts Luke has going, but <laughs> that was one that I never heard so, until not too long ago. So how did your friend learn that? Yeah, my friend is a great Star Wars artist, Jason Palmer. 
he has uh, he knows other artists, and he actually talked to Ian McKeg, who's the concept designer for the prequels. Then he was having like lunch with them, and he kind of was telling some inside stuff and the story meetings they were having early on. It was like, oh man, I would love to be in that conversation, <laughs> hear all the stuff that was going on before the actual final script was all said and done. <laughs> yeah, but Tim, you're you're always in the wrong place at the wrong time, or you're just never there. Especially when you lose all your Star Wars credibility, and you you end up being uh, more of a a Star Trek fan. Huh. Or even better, like a Battlestar Galactica fan or a, or a Babylon 5 fan. I know you guys said that in the last podcast. A little piece of me died inside when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of sad, Tim. But we also have Terrence with us. Terrence, how's it going, man? Yeah, it's going great. Thanks for having me back. And um, i got to say, I just want to clear the record that Dane and I are nothing but heterosexual podcast mates. Uh, we did that. <laughs> yeah, I want to make it clear because it was funny because I did that uh, April Fool's joke um, podcast with the the Batman universe, and they they had it sort of like um, that we were all at the wedding, you know, and then like oh, and here together are Dane and Terrence for, and, and I was like, wait, that doesn't sound right, and then <laughs> and then the next podcast we did it was just you and I doing the podcast, so I just want to make sure everyone knows that we're we we're both uh, just good friends, but. Um, and I do want to thank Dane because last week we had a lot of technical difficulties and I had to uh, write as we were going on to, to record um, the, the cable company decided to do an update on my Internet uh, and totally messed everything up. And so I ended up hooking up my wife's laptop into the wires in the closet under the stairs and, and did the um, podcast last week from the laptop under the stairs. I was like kind of like Harry Potter, the, the podcaster under the stairs there. And um, and I did comment on Tim saying that, you know, with him not there, that he was more of a Star Trek fan than a Star Wars fan. Um, but I have to rescind that because I've been on spring break this week and uh, I've been catching up on some of the podcasts and I've been listening to a bunch of Star Trek podcasts. And I know Tim doesn't drink alcohol, and for some reason, Star Trek podcasters drink a lot of alcohol. If you listen to the Star Trek podcast, all they talk about is watching Star Trek and getting drunk doing it and going to conventions and getting drunk. So that, that reaffirms that Tim is not a uh, a Star Trekker. But uh, I was also listening to a lot of uh, the, the Flash and the Flashback podcast, which I'll give that to Dane to segue to our next guest here. All right, well, yeah, we have uh, Mike from the Flashback Podcast. It's a podcast about Flash. I mean, it's kind of like this, except they talk about Flash. And do um, you guys review, like, one comic every show? Or are you guys kind of... Yeah, we, we, we take uh, the monthly book that comes out, and uh, we break it down. We actually go page by page. I wanna, uh, my brother-in-law does it with me. And, uh, yeah, we actually, we go page by page. We give a general synopsis overview first, the non-spoilers part. And then we ask the listeners to, you know, to get your copy and, uh, follow along page by page and we kind of break it down and, 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 you know, really, really <laughs> diagnose it, you know, and try to point out some things, um, that, uh, you know, maybe the listeners didn't, uh, didn't get by reading it through. And we get a lot of emails saying that, like, you know, like, hey, I didn't even notice that. You guys pointed out on page five, you know, on that one panel. So, you know, we try to do that. That's kind of like what, what we're trying to do. Just, you know, we figured there's a lot of podcasts out there talking about the monthly comics and, uh, you know, what people think of it. But so we're trying to, like, break it down and, and trying to point out maybe some Easter eggs and stuff like that that are in there, along with giving our opinion on it. My brother in law worked in the industry. He still does. He's, you know, um, on the side. 
Um, so uh, he's got a little bit more knowledge of it than I do, but um, but it's really great. It's really great. I want to thank Terrence actually uh, on here. I want to thank him for uh, telling me about that uh, four shared uh, site because uh, we were having a little problem our, uh, for what we do with our um, website. We can only have so much you know storage there. So uh, some people were asking us for some old episodes because we've done like sixty some episodes now. And uh, so this four shared is a is a great site for us. So um, so our listeners can go there and uh, and get some of our really old stuff going back to '09 and '10 and stuff that's not on our regular site. So, but it's great to be here and talk about Batman because uh, you know, I try to talk about Batman as much as I can on the Flash podcast. I'm such a big Batman fan. But uh, Rich only uh, reads um, just the main Batman monthly. That's the only book he reads, so it's kind of tough. But I try, I try to throw in a little Batman here and there, so it's really great to be on the air with you guys and, and talk Batman. But aren't you the only Flash podcast? I mean, you you guys are, like, cornering the market in, like, Flash podcasts, right? Uh, you know, I really I really don't know. Um, I, I, I just One time I did a little research, and I just I saw one other one, but it wasn't really a review of um, the Flash. It was guy was just talking about some old Flash stories. But uh, I, I mean, there's a there's a lot of podcasts, general podcasts, just talking about you know books that are coming out each week. And I've heard some re, you know a lot of reviews. And there's a Speed Force uh, website that uh, has reviews of every issue. But uh, as far as podcasts, we we might be the o- exclusive only Flash. It's pretty much. Well, we just talk about Flash uh, for the most part. I mean, we we de- you know we we digress a little bit and talk about other books, but we try to stay on topic and just talk about the Flash. And I I just come in. I've been listening since uh, basically since you guys started, and it's a great podcast. I enjoy it. But for some of our Batman listeners, if you wanted to kind of jump in, your 2012 award show was uh, just a general <laughs> everything Flash comics yeah. movies, and there was a lot of Batman talk on that, and your um. You did a re- review for the Flashpoint miniseries, I guess that was like two or three summers ago now, which that was really good. And um, The Flash, I, you know, I've been reading it monthly, and The Flash is a really great book, but they have like six or seven or eight different storylines all going at once all through the book. So it's really helpful to hear the podcast and go over it and catch the stuff you missed and catch it before it comes on. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. No, thanks. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that we were uh, a little critical on is the fact that there's so many uh, little subplots going on, and uh, now they're starting to tie them up a little bit, so that, that's that's good. But that's one thing we've been, been critical on the book about. So you know, we, we try, to, try to keep it real and just tell it like it is. We don't just say, oh, this was great, this was great, you know, or, or whine and complain about everything. So, you know, we just we just come at it and try to keep it real, but that's one of the things that we um, that we did say, you know, needs to tie up some of these loose ends. See, so Terrence, I mean, we can start this Booster Gold and uh, yeah. Martian Manhunter and uh, a Plastic Man podcast, man. It is. I got an email from uh, Alex. Uh, I'll go over that one with the emails. But one of the things he said, he said he's uh, he said he's on board for a cyborg podcast, but but not for a Plastic Man one. So, yeah. Well, if you guys start the if you guys start the Plastic Man podcast, I'm going to start the Elongated Man podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, rivalry, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and isn't uh, Plastic Man coming back? Is he? I don't know, is he? I know they've had like some Fox things on the something. cartoon, but, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, Gail Simone is writing it or something. I don't oh, know. wow. I, yeah. yeah. I think huh. I read something about that, but but I'm not sure, and I'm not sure who's going to buy that. But <laughs> Yeah. You know, what... Whatever floats your boat, I guess. He is funny in the few Brave and the Bold episodes he was in, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but the problem is with Plastic Man is he's funny. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know if that really works in the Justice League. I mean, do, does it work in the Justice League? Oh, he hasn't been in Justice League for a while, at least, at least the books I've read. I know definitely not in the New 52. Like, yeah, definitely not in the New 52. He's not even in the New 52, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But, like, I think, like, in, like, the early 2000s. Yeah, Grant Morrison used him in his run, and um, it was just kind of like a background character. Even in that, it, he didn't really work in that as well. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he works. He works better as a cartoon, a Saturday morning cartoon designed for kids. I, I think he works better. Well, maybe they'll make him a dark plastic man, a more edgy. Yeah. <laughs> we need Frank Miller to come out with like a mini series, <laughs> Plastic Man, man the Dark Rubber Band Returns, or something. Yeah, <laughs> that I would buy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that because I mean, for one thing, it's Plastic Man, and the other thing is, look at Frank Frank Miller's creative output in the last ten years. Well, this might yeah. just be what he needs to get back, <laughs> come back. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he should do. He should come out with like a Plastic Man book that is just completely like. Just a total joke and funny and lighthearted and just surprise everybody. <laughs> just the complete opposite of everything he's ever done. Yeah. No, but you see, he, he'll put like his uh, political leanings and all that kind of stuff in the book, and it it'll just be it, it'll just take that fun and just make it just crap, boring yeah. crap. But anyways, Tim, stop getting us on a sidetrack. <laughs> I know every podcast, Tim just wants to talk about Plastic Man. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> So you guys must have really enjoyed it when I wasn't here last time. Right? <laughs> you get to badmouth me, say I'm a trekker and not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> so, so tell me, Tim, what's worse, calling you a trekker or a trekkie or calling you a non-Batman fan? Uh, definitely a non-Batman fan. Uh, that, that would hurt more yeah. because I actually like the original Star Trek series. So. Well, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it... It was campy, right? Yeah, well, it's it's not as campy as the Batman as uh, Adam West. Yeah, did, yeah, definitely not. There's but... definitely some good stories, and the characters on there were great. And yeah, looking at it now, some things will be cheesy, but oh, it has its charm. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were trying to go for campy. Like, Batman in the 60s was going for the campy. It just looks campy now because they didn't have the money for the good special effects or, you know, things now, you know, watching it on a HD TV, it doesn't look the same. You can tell, like, the big rock in the background is paper mache, but um, it, the stories are, are pretty solid, especially the first season. Yeah. Are they um, are they on home media? Yeah, they're on Netflix. Um, yeah, you can, yeah. All actually, all the Star Trek series are on Netflix and Amazon Prime, and I think CBS has it on their website. You can um, watch them. Uh, I know the original series; you can watch them for free. So yeah, they're, they're pretty available. Go watch them now, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to commit something to another TV show just to get it canceled right when I catch up. Well, it's been canceled for, what, almost 40 years now. (laughs) (laughs) Way before you were born. (laughs) All right, so, Tim, after you sidetracked us again, um, do do you want to get into our featured topic? Yeah, I'll get us back on track now now that I I took us off. (laughs) But, yeah, after uh, you and Terrence were talking on the last episode about how you feel The Dark Knight Rises was kind of underrated and wasn't getting the... I guess attention that you thought it deserved. It kind of got me thinking. I think that's true, but everything Batman, like we can 
kind of see what we think is kind of the most underrated Batman stuff, like a certain comic story, maybe a certain writer, uh, acting performances throughout the movies, TV series, stuff like that. So I wanted to get everyone's thoughts as far as their Batman underrated stuff. So I guess let's start with comics, if there's any comic book stories that you guys really like, but doesn't really get that much attention. So what do you guys think, Terrence? What do you think was your probably most underrated comic story? For comics, uh, there was a, a the, the series uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, the original one that came out in the 90s, and there was a three-issue run, I think it was in the 20s, like 27, and it was called Blades, and that uh, was just one of the best Batman stories that I've ever read. Um, and the art was done by Tim Sale, and it was the first art that Tim Sale had done on Batman, which now he's gone on to be, you know, uh, well-known for doing a lot of Batman things like The Long Halloween and such. And it was written by James Robinson, who, you know, has gotten pretty famous for his Starman run and stuff. But at the time, they had done very little in comics and had done no Batman. So it wasn't that big of a, uh, um, like, wow, this, this is coming out now, the new Tim Sale book. Uh, and when it came out, actually, it, I remember some people not really liking it and not liking Tim Sale's art style, which I guess it took them a little while to <laughs> adjust to it because people like it now. But um, I've always felt that, that that issue, Blade, or the three-issue run of Blades, was um, very underrated. And ba- basically the story is, you know, Batman is uh, hunting this killer, and it's taking up all his time. So he realizes he, he needs some help. So there's this actor who is trying to get famous and has dressed up basically like Zorro uh, and is, is out there. Uh, I think he, he calls himself the Cavalier. I got to double check that. And, well, the Cavalier, uh, I think, was one of his old villains. Yeah, I think it was like a revamp of, of the Cavalier. Yeah, that's why I, I just got to double check that. But um, uh, And so Batman kind of makes an agreement with him like, all right, well, you, you, you can do this and you can, you know, uh, fight some crime in Gotham and help me out while I go after this killer. And then Batman gets really sick. And I don't want to spoil it because I, some of our listeners may not have read it and might want to pick that up. I know Alex likes to um, pick up some books when we talk about them. But I, I love the ending of it. The ending is different than your your normal Batman comic. And um, it's uh, it's a really good twist on the ending and how it happens. And, um, and so uh, Blades, I think, is, is my most... Um, underrated comic uh, for a uh, comic characters i feel stephanie brown in everything she's done is underrated uh from the spoiler which i thought was a great character to to, to her run, role as robin to uh batgirl uh and also um the the other thing i feel is underrated is uh the the jason todd as robin run um when when jason todd came out and they revamped him they had batman it was called like the new adventures of batman and the books with Jason Todd were, were actually really good. Uh, and then they went and killed him off, and they kind of blamed the fans for killing him off, but um, mm-hmm. for doing the the phone poll. But from from what I've heard, the the poll was really close. And apparently, some guy had set up his uh, like uh, telephone with a, a computer to, to call <laughs> yeah. it every five minutes or every. And yeah. so, like, it, it really rigged the voting on that. And I had some friends who voted. And I remember them telling me, like, oh, well, I don't even read Batman. I just hope Robin will die so I can buy the issue and make some money or it'll be worth something. Uh, And so they kind of have this thing of, like, oh, well, the fans hated Jason Todd or Jason Todd wasn't good. But if you read the issues leading up to his death, they were actually a really good run. And it was a really good character development with Jason Todd. So uh, for the comics, I'd go with those are my underrated Batman comics. That's funny that you say that because I don't think I've read a 
Jason Todd Robin story was bad besides what happened in Death, Death in the Family. Because I was real little at that time, wasn't really collecting comics when he was Robin. And I never really went back to read those stories. But you say they're good, I might have to check it out because you're right. Everyone keeps saying how he's the worst Robin and, yeah, they couldn't wait for him to die. So <laughs> definitely one I might have to, yeah, go to check out. Yeah, they're in like the 400s, the early 400s of Batman run. And they actually say on them the new adventures of Batman. And I'm not sure if they're available digitally or collected at all, but they're actually a pretty good, you know, run of, of stories. I mean, you might, do you have an underrated Batman story from the comics? Yeah, I guess for me, um, I loved the Batman Night of Vengeance for Flashpoint. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I actually talked about it on the, on the last, uh, flashback, uh, podcast. I mean, they just, uh, the first time I read it through, I, I thought it was okay. But when I read it the second time, it had the, all three issues, I was like, this, this is fantastic. I mean, they just did things in that three uh, issue miniseries that they just could not do within the continuity of uh, of Batman. And, and I think with everything going on at the time, they had already released the information about, you know, they're coming out with the new 52 and they're going to do this whole reboot and everything like that, relaunch, whatever they're, they're calling it. Uh, I think that the, the Flashpoint series uh, overall was, was underrated. And especially uh, the Batman Night of Vengeance, because uh, again, I just think that it was it was fantastic. Like I said, things going on there that uh, you know were, were great, great story, uh, great reveals. I don't want to you know spoil it. Like um, Darren said, if nobody, if someone uh, didn't read it and they want to check it out, I don't want to spoil it because there were some big uh, you know reveals in there. So uh, that would have to be at the top of the list for me. Um, but uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, like you said, I remember reading the first issue. I thought this is okay; it was pretty good. But then I think it was the second one where it had that big twist. Yeah, about some characters like whoa! <laughs> I did not see that coming. I had to like read it twice, and this man, this is really cool. Like a different take on Batman and his mythos. That's like you said, can it work in the main continuity, but works yeah. really well in an Elseworlds story. And exactly, and the way they drew him just reminded me of the bat. Uh, you know, um, the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's really what he should. He was supposed to be older. And uh, when I first read the, the regular uh, Flashpoint miniseries, which, uh, you know, Barry Allen runs into Batman in the Flashpoint world, I said, you know, he doesn't – when I realized who it was, I said, you know, he doesn't look old enough uh, to be Batman. And uh, then in the miniseries, I think um, Eduardo Rizzo, I think, drew it uh, – Really, really good. It looked just like, uh, you know, like I said, The Dark Knight Returns, an older, an older Batman. So that is definitely um, up there for, for me as far as underrated goes. Yeah, and uh, I just say um, a, a couple podcasts back, we were doing a thing on the Joker, and uh, we, we did our favorite Joker stories, and I, I put that down as one of my favorite other Joker stories that the, mm. the um, um, Flashpoint miniseries with Batman. That that one was really good. In fact, when I, I went to the comic book store the week after that came out, and I hadn't read it yet, and the guy who owns the store like came up to me. He saw I had a bunch of DC stuff. He's like, "Did you read the, the Flashpoint number two for Batman?" He's like, "That was amazing. I haven't felt that way in a comic since uh, I read the Dark Knight uh, Returns." And so I'm like, yeah. and I didn't want to tell him I had not read it. So I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good." <laughs> And I ran home and read it quick. I was like, oh, wow, this is – it was it was just <laughs> intense. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely a good choice. <laughs> How about you, Dane, your most underrated Batman comic story? I mean, I don't, I don't have that much to say about it because I haven't read it in a long time. But um, probably uh, Broken City, the Broken City run uh, okay. by Brian Azzarello. 
that came out, unfortunately, right after the, the Jeff Loeb, uh, Jim Lee hush, hush run. Um, I mean, I know a, a lot of people know Brian Azzarello from his Joker story, but I mean, I think it's a really good run. I mean, what, what they did with, um, pretty much the zero year, I guess you would call it, um, of, of Batman and how, how they kind of they they put a new spin on it. I I just really like that. So yeah, probably uh, Broken City is underrated for me because I've talked to people and people don't even know about it. And so I'm just like, that was a really good run. How can you can you not have heard about that? <laughs> yeah, like I remember, like you know, I haven't read it in a few years. Actually, I never read it in the original run. Just I got the hardcover of it. Yeah, like you said, it was a pretty good story, too, where I know there was kind of like a mystery as far as, uh, don't want to give anything away, who was like behind the main plot of the whole thing. It was something pretty different of how it ends and who it turns out to be like the main culprit or bad guy of the story. So it was something yeah. different, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Brian Azzarello is a great writer. He's, he, he wrote the, the book that Mike just talked about, the yeah. uh, Flashpoint Batman, and then yeah, I remember because after the Hush storyline, Broken City came next, and it just had a completely total different feel. Uh, that was Batman 620 to 625, and the artwork, everything, and it actually took me a little while to get into it because it was so different, and I liked the Hush storyline so much. But then once I got into it, I was like, well, this is really good. This this could have even been its own miniseries, but um, I've, I've always been a big fan of Azarello's writing, and he's actually writing um, Wonder Woman right now, which is also a really good uh, series of books. Yeah. He's done all of them since New 52. So, yeah. It's like a good didn't, he, didn't he write the the Joker graphic novel? Yeah. 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 That, was gr- that was great. Yeah, I would probably say his Wonder Woman, other than Snyder's Batman, it's probably the most consistent new uh, 52 book since issue number one. Pretty much yeah. every issue of the storyline has been great so far. But uh, for me, as far as my most underrated comic story, I have to go with uh, the very first comic series I ever read as a kid, which is uh, The Untold Legend of the Batman, which was uh, a three-part series by Len Wein and uh, art by John Byrne and uh, Jim Aparo. And I basically got this probably like around a year before the 89 movie was coming out maybe like a year or a few months before the movie. And I just remember getting it, the issues, and they came with these audio tapes that pretty much fed the whole story with voice actors portraying all the different characters in there. And it pretty much gave me my Batman education as a young kid <laughs> as far as his history, some of his rogues gallery, the backstory on certain characters. It was just a story that really stood out to me because the whole thing was, it starts off with Bruce is in the Batcave and he gets this package. And what's when he opens it up, it's his father's Batman costume, all torn up into shreds. And there's a note saying, this is only the beginning, Batman. Before I'm done, I will destroy you. And it's like, he's a little panicking as far as who's doing this. Someone knows my secret, knows my father, my family history. And so as he's trying to figure out who's behind this, we kind of get these flashback sequences of his parents' death, his uh, training that he received, which is all stuff that is different now and it's for sure not in continuity. Because in this story, he was actually first... Uh, the first Robin, that was his first costume that he put on as a kid because he wanted to get this attention of this uh, de- famous detective to help train him. And so he gets the Robin costume and helps this detective out and he kind of trains him in that regards. But then we also get the stories of like Robin's origin, the Joker's origin, Two-Face's origin, Alfred's. So this, like I said, pretty much gave me my Batman educations <laughs> for as a young kid and started my knowledge of Batman and his history and his past. So it ends in a cool way, too, when we find out 
the reason behind this plot of someone trying to threaten Batman and kind of destroy the things that were most important to him as a hero. So that one's definitely always going to stick out to me. And I know the more popular origin story is, of course, year one, and there's been several other tales of the origin of Batman. But this one is probably not as good as year one as far as the definitive origin story for me anyway as Batman, but just being the first one that I read as a kid, it's always one that's always going to stick out to me and one that I'm always going to enjoy. And listening to the audio tapes, too, it may not hold up now, but I think the voice actors, especially for Batman and Robin and certain other characters, they still hold up today. And before Batman the Animated Series with Kevin Conroy, that was always the voice of Batman I pictured in my head. So <laughs> this one's always going to have a special place in my heart as far as a Batman story that I'm always going to enjoy. So, yeah, definitely The Untold Legend of the Batman is my most underrated because I really don't hear it get talked about that much when it comes to origin stories because, like I said, the one everyone goes to is year one. So, unfortunately, I don't think it gets the recognition it deserves, but I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe someday that will change. Yeah, that's a great choice. In fact, actually, the library I had that I used to go to as a kid, my local library, had a copy of that. It was like a like the size of a paperback novel. It wasn't like comic book size. It was like paperback size. It had like a red cover with like Batman jumping off like a scaffolding. And uh, it was black and white, but I remember checking that out from the library all the time. And like you said, finding out all the different backstories for all the character stuff. And um, that the, the suit that was ripped up, that's the same suit they used again. Grant Morrison used that again um, in his run with um, the, the guy who you thought was Swain, but then be like yeah, one of the Dr. Wayne's Hurt. Dr. Hurt. That's right. Yeah. So that's a great choice. And spoiler alert here. Is this the one I remember now, but is that the one that it turned out like Bruce Wayne was like doing it to himself or something like yeah. that? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was also cool. It was uh, the Batman Babe in the Bold episode, Chill of the Night, which is the best episode of the series. Kind of used this story as like an adaption of that. They did a really great job of it. I mean, there's a really cool sequence in the comic and in that episode where Batman actually confronts his parents' killer, and it's just great in the comic, and then Brave and the Bold did a great job with it, too. So yeah. if you're looking for, like, a loose adaption of that story, check, definitely check out the Brave and the Bold episode, Chill of the Night, because they did a great job with that. Just performances, everything was superb on that one. <laughs> but um, as far as, I guess, comic writers, do you guys feel there's a certain writer that you think is a little underrated and doesn't get the respect he deserves as far as Batman? You know, I think Denny O'Neill doesn't get as much respect as he deserves, even though, I mean, he gets a lot, and he was such a force in Batman um, for so many years as editor and everything, so it's not like no one knows about him, but um, you know, him and you know some of the artists that he worked with, like Gordano and uh, Neil Adams, were really taking Batman from that campy 60s you know, silly Batman in outer space, making him much more of a realistic, modern looking, you know, um, much more uh, mature telling. And then, you know, Frank Miller came along in 1986 with the Dark Knight Returns and then just, you know, completely, you know, knocked a home run with that and changed it. But I think a, a lot of people who don't really haven't read a lot of books of the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, you know, they like Batman was campy and in outer space and talking to Batmite. And then, Frank Miller came along and changed everything and they don't realize it was sort of like this slow progression, you know, in the seventies and eighties of the books getting, you know, more mature and more realistic looking, uh, and the artwork you can see in the artwork, like of Denny O'Neill's stories of the seventies, you know, you can see Batman's muscles and the, the anatomy drawing 
more accurate as opposed to, you know, the 50s and 60s where they're just kind of like square bodies and no muscle definition. And, you know, um, and so I think for that, O'Neill doesn't get as much credit as a writer as as maybe he should for modernizing Batman. Yeah, I would agree with that. Kind of like what you said, when everyone seems to think that Frank Miller was the first one to make Batman like dark and not as campy anymore. But like you said, it was Denny O'Neill and kind of others who were working on the comics at that time that slowly kind of was changing Batman to not be that campy character that was like the 60s show. So, yeah. yeah I, I I agree too. The other thing, um, aspect of it is, I, I would have to say uh, Tim Burton's eight, Batman 89. But up until that point, I think to the people that don't read comics, they they thought of Batman from the 60s as being he's just a campy kind of character. But but Tim Burton's Batman 89 really gave Batman that dark feel. And and actually, I remember when it came out. I don't, I'm not going to reveal my age, but I was uh, old enough to go out there and, and watch the movie and enjoy it. And there were a lot of people I talked to that didn't like it because they were saying it was too dark and Batman was too serious. And, and I think uh, – you know, uh, uh, Burton does get credit for it, but since, uh, you know, the um, Nolan movies came out, people now look back and say, ah, oh, that Tim Burton stuff was no good. But he really got to give him credit for changing the whole aspect of how people thought about Batman. And that did carry into the comics, too, after that movie came out. Yeah, just I think Batman in general, really, because, like you said, without that Tim Burton movie, would it wouldn't have the Nolan movies, the comics wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have Batman right. the animated series. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Burton deserves a lot of credit for for getting the movie made that way because even before a year or two before the movie was made, there were still executives and people at Warner Brothers who wanted to make you know an Adam West you know uh, style Batman, and there was talk of uh, you know Bill Murray playing Batman and Eddie Murphy would be Robin, and and that was some serious yep. talk at That's the time. Right. Yep. Yeah, so it's it's pretty lucky. I remember Starlog magazine, you know, because I'm pretty old. I'm, I'm 38, and I I read like this old Starlog magazine that probably a couple years old, but it was uh, Burt Ward, the original Robin, talking about them plans to make a Batman movie, and um, this was before Tim Burton was announced and everything, and and. Burt Ward in his interview said, like, well, the fans would never accept another Batman except Adam West. And, they, you know, right. no one will go see the movie unless Adam West and I are in it. And I remember believing it because I was just like in middle school. That's right. And I'm like, wow, oh, my gosh. Yeah, if, if they do this, it's going to be a disaster. So um, and then the choice of Michael Keaton was pretty controversial, too, until people started yeah. seeing him in the suit and seeing some previews. You know, Tim Burton took a lot of, you know, a lot of risk, you know, having yeah. him as the actor knowing he could be serious. Cause before that he was known for comedy. He's known for Mr. Mom and yeah, Mr. Mom. Made, yeah. Made what was it made in America or something like that. Or, and, um, everyone was like, Oh, it's going to be like, it's going to be like the sixties. So yeah, Tim Burton definitely deserves a lot of uh, credit for that as well. Yep. And for me, as far as like going back to the whole comic writers and stuff, I'd probably have to go with probably the most underrated person in all of Batman. Uh, which is going to be Bill Finger, <laughs> so, oh, in my opinion, yeah. the creator of Batman. <laughs> Talk about not getting the respect oh, and yeah. recognition he deserves. I mean, one day, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I want to see Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger on the comics at the end of movie <laughs> credits. Something so he gets a recognition because, I mean, just reading out the stuff he did, I mean, yeah, Bob Kane originally came into him with the idea of, like, a, like a hero with, like, bat wings and stuff like that, but if you see the original like, design drawing that Bob Kane had for Batman is, like, not even close to what we know today. Like, a guy in a red suit, blonde hair, like, a domino mask on. 
it was Bill Finger who decided, let's give him like a, a cowl and a mask and make him more dark with black and gray. It just really kind of everything we know and love about Batman, Bill Finger was the one behind it. The origin story, some of the characters, and then it just to me it's just sad that he doesn't get the recognition that he deserved. And it was unfortunately kind of probably his own fault a little bit too. I mean, with the deals that got worked out with him and Bob Kane, but I just wish Bob Kane kind of would have gave him the credit on his own, but that wasn't the case. But yeah, so I just hope one day he gets the recognition as the co-creator of Batman because to me that's just a crime that he's not recognized as creating the greatest superhero ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the cool things about Stan Lee. If you see him in interviews, he gives a lot of credit to like Jack Kirby and mm. the artists and other people at Marvel, um, which he doesn't pull a Bob Kane and just, yep, it was all me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When he's the one who actually, Stan Lee has the one of these, that had the creative ideas for these characters. And yet he still shares the credit with the other creators do. Yeah. How about you, Dane? Any, comic writers he feels underrated i haven't read a lot of the guy's stuff but um it's kind of going back to the the um the denny o'neill days uh but probably steve Englehart. okay um, yeah I, i've read like a like a couple of random issues of like like right in the middle of a couple a couple of his runs and um man just what he did with the character i mean like denny o'neill he kind of made batman that pulp detective whatever dark character um again and you know he he did a lot with the joker and stuff like that there there was even a rumor that you know he um one of his stories influenced um the first uh tim burton batman movie um i haven't i haven't read a lot of his stuff but what i've read of it it's it's so like the darkest Batman I've ever read, like the the most violent and just dark, <laughs> dark Batman. Yeah. So yeah, for, for me, it's probably Steve Englehart. Yeah, I mean, the best way to, I think, to read some of his uh, best Batman stories is get the trade paperback of the. Uh, it's called uh, Batman Strange Apparitions, and it kind of has some of the best uh, of Steve Englehart's running there. You got like the Laughing Fish Joker story, and then one of my favorites, the. Uh, he introduced the Preston Payne version of Clayface, which I think right, is a great right. version of the character. So, yeah, definitely a good choice, I think. And um, I guess transitioning over from comics to – I know you kind of mentioned already the Batman 89 movies kind of being underrated. Since there's not too many Batman movies, really can't pick, I guess, the most underrated Batman movie. Unless you want to go way out there and say Batman and Robin or Batman Forever, <laughs> or you could say Master <laughs> of the Phantasm because that's yeah. kind of yeah that's kind of underrated, but that's really good. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I think for those who've seen it, won't think it's underrated. But as far as like general public, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. no one even remembers that being out in the theater. But um, what would you guys like think some of the most underrated performances in the different Batman movies, I guess, or animated series? Is there any that stick out to you? I mean, I, I know it's not the popular opinion. But I recently rewatched um, uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, Maggie Gyllenhaal, she took the crap that uh, Katie Holmes did in <laughs> in, um, <laughs> in Batman Begins, and she she totally refreshed that character and made that character important not only to the story but to Bruce Wayne that that was missing in. Um, in Batman Begins, but uh, I mean that's just one. I mean I would also say Aaron Eckhart is greatly underrated. Yeah, with his uh, portrayal of uh, Two Face. I mean I know a lot of people were saying that 
you know, he, he was Harvey Dent, and then he became uh, Two-Face a little too fast, but I think Aaron Eckhart makes it believable that, you know, this was the same man that was on a good track, and, you know, his world just crumbled around him in that one moment, and he became this maniac. So, yeah, probably those two. Yeah, plus I think, too, that Aaron Eckhart doesn't get the recognition, probably just because of Heath Ledger's kind of overshadowing him as being oh, so right. great in that movie, but you're totally right about him. I mean, even the way that they planted the seeds early on where you could kind of tell he wasn't fully stable even as a good guy. So yeah. I think it still works where it wasn't such a fast transformation. It, I think it played out really well in the movie. And for me, anyway, that's my favorite adaption of Two-Face's origin story. I think that's the best one out of all of them. Even better than uh, animated series? Surprisingly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before the movie, it was the animated series, but I think this one outdid it, which, when I say something outdoes the animated series, is really rare. <laughs> How about you, Terrence? Yeah, you know, I gotta go. Dane picked a good one. I hadn't thought of Maggie Gyllenhaal, but I remember seeing The Dark Knight and thinking that, you know, a lot of the courtroom scenes and a lot of those scenes, if it was, um, who did it before her? I blanked on her name. Tom, Mrs. Tom Cruise there. Katie Holmes, that's it, thanks. Uh, she just would not have pulled those scenes off like Maggie Gyllenhaal did. But um, Aaron Eckhart, definitely, because um, I very rarely get to just sit down and watch The Dark Knight <laughs> and watch it all the way through. But last kids were gone, so I just put the movie on and just sat down. And he's pretty amazing because, you know, you, you've got to like him in the beginning. And when he does the whole courtroom scene and pulls the gun away from the guy and says, I suggest you buy American, you got to really like him. you got to believe that Bruce Wayne sees him as the savior of Gotham and that he's a good guy but then in that same movie he's got to turn around and you got to not like him at the end and have him be the bad guy and he, he pulls it off so well and um, the you know Heath Ledger I think got a lot of the attention and especially him dying you know, shortly after and then a lot of people mentioned Christian Bale but but Aaron Heckart I feel just is totally overlooked in that movie and um, there's the one scene where the Joker comes and talks to him um, at the hospital and that scene is just amazing. And like I always heard, like, you know, like a good actor, you, you see them and they're like, wow, he's acting good. But but a great actor, you forget that they're acting. You just think like, wow, they're sad or they're angry. And when I'm watching that scene, I see Two-Face and I just think he's angry. I'm like, wow, he is just furious at the Joker. And I'm like, if those restraints weren't holding him back. He'd kill the Joker right now. Like, I, I just get so engrossed in the character. And then really from that moment on at the hospital, the Joker is just not that interesting anymore. I'm totally into the Two-Face and what's happening with Two-Face and him going after the, the people who, who drove um, Rachel and him to the to the warehouses where they were, you know, killed or disfigured. And then the whole scene with Gordon uh, at the end, it, it sort of becomes Two-Face's movie from that point on. The Joker, you know, he has the fairy scene, which I think is the weakest of all the Joker kind of acts. And then he just kind of gets caught by Batman and I, um and uh, so Aaron Heckart, definitely, I feel like his uh, performance is just underrated. The other performance I thought was kind of, it's kind of forgotten, kind of underrated. But Robert Wall in, in Batman 89, who played Alexander Knox, you know, he was really good in that movie. You know, he's, he's got some humor. He's kind of like how you see, like the average fan kind of sees the movie kind of through his eyes a little bit. You kind of got to, you have to like him, but then feel bad for him that, you know, Kim Basinger ends up with Bruce Wayne and not him. And, um, and it is kind of surprising that Tim Burton didn't come back to him in, in the next movie and uh, bring him up. But I thought for what, what he was in the movie, some comic relief, some kind of moves the story along, um, kind of explains some things, you know, going on with Batman was, was really good. And 
Last and certainly least in Batman and Robin, hey, that movie just gets <laughs> crapped on by everybody and everything. But I actually think that the the look of Mr. Freeze and the look of Poison Ivy were pretty cool. Um, no. Now, Mr. Freeze kind of blows it with his whole ice to see you and singing and dancing and stuff. But just the actual look, like I remember before that movie came out, sort of the posters and stuff, I thought they looked good. Now, Batman and Robin and Batgirl look terrible in those silver suits. And Bane yeah. is just ugh, pathetic. But <laughs> I actually kind of liked, of all the, not much I like in that movie, but I did like the look of uh, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, um, if nothing else. <laughs> and really, nothing else in that movie. <laughs> Except maybe the end credits. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> How about you, Mike? Any you know, performances? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go. Uh, I gotta go along with what Terrence was saying about Batman and Robin. I um, I thought this, the script was horrible, and I really feel bad because I'd like to see what uh, George Clooney maybe could have done with a good script. But um, the same thing with uh, Mr. Freeze and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought the look was really good, uh, and what could have been, I always think, man, it could have been uh, a lot better. I think Schwarzenegger could have been a really great. Mr. Freeze with the right script, and um, so I really like the look though of of that. So, and and you know what? And a couple of the the one-liners here and there didn't didn't bother me at first when I started watching. He started the one-liners, so I thought it was pretty cool. But it just it just they just killed it, just it way overdid <laughs> it. So, uh, you know, I have to go with um, with that. I also really liked um, completely different than um, we had with the uh, the recent. Um, movie with the Two-Face, but uh, I, I really liked uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I, I found it very entertaining. A completely different type of Two-Face, but for what it was, I thought uh, it was really fun. It was really fun to watch, and I thought he did, uh, Tommy Lee Jones did a really good job with that part, and uh, making that, you know, giving us that split personality there, I thought, thought it was good. Maybe not true to the comic, but... Um, but I thought it was very enjoyable. Um, so I would go with them. I also you know, I have to agree with you, Terrence, that Alexander Knox's character, um, I, you know, I heard Burton say that he wasn't planning on a sequel. When he did that movie, he had no intention of doing a sequel. But once he did, I think they, he should have brought that character back because uh, that was a very strong character, and there was no reason not to bring him back. Uh, and the guy did a great job in, uh, in that role too. So I think that is uh, – you know, very underrated uh, part too. Him and, and Kim Basinger, that uh, the, the scenes that they had together, I thought were really, really funny, really good. The uh, the way he did that. So yeah, I agree. Go back to Mr. Freeze. You know, cool. I don't know if I told you guys this before, but you know, who I think would be the perfect Mr. Freeze would be uh, Christopher Lloyd, the way he was as uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Judge Doom and Roger Rabbit. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's almost like he looks like him in the way he talks, with kind of more like the animated series version of Mr. Freeze. I always think he'd be perfect, <laughs> but I doubt that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for me, as far as performances, and you know it's only a matter of time before I go to the animated series for <laughs> a choice, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Lauren Lester as Robin. I mean, to me, he's almost he's just up there, right, with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill as the iconic voice actors of the most popular Batman characters as Robin. And kind of going back to what we were saying about Aaron Eckhart, maybe getting overshadowed by Heath Ledger and Christian Bale's performances, I kind of feel the same way about Lauren Lester as Robin. Because animated series, you may have seen Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker, but his Robin is just perfect. And just like we hear 
uh, Kevin Conway and Mark Hamill's voices and as I read the comic for Batman and Joker. Anytime I read Dick Grayson, I hear Lauren Lester's voice as Robin, as Nightwing. It's just perfect. And then just the progression he made as the character uh, as the series went on to the new Batman adventure as Nightwing. It was just really good. It captured like the fun aspect of the Robin character as a more light-hearted, light, light-hearted character to contrast Batman's dark side. At the same time, you can see when he had his moments too where he would get angry at Batman like in Robin's Reckoning and then just kind of take on Batman's personality, personality as Nightwing in the new Batman adventure. It's just Lord of Lesser just did a fantastic job as that character as he grew throughout the series. So I don't think he gets as much recognition as he should. So um, he would definitely probably be my choice for underrated performances because it's just really great. Yeah, he's great. And, you know, like even the video games and some of the movies, they've brought Kevin Conroy back. They brought Mark Hamill back for Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. And, you know, they've made some some good money, I've heard from, you know, in the Mark Hamill interview on um, Fat Man on Batman. He didn't give the figure, but he said they they paid him a lot of money for mm-hmm. Arkham City. And poor Robin doesn't get anything. He's not even in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. that's the thing. They never ask him. Like I don't think they ask him back for to replay the role as Nightwing or Dick Grayson for anything because in some interviews I've read and heard with them, he's always open to come back as a character. He loves playing Dick Grayson, and I just think it's a shame they don't really think of him for any part as Robin in any of the new animated movies or video games because it'd be nice to have him back because he's yeah. such a phenomenal job with it. I often wonder what Chris O'Donnell, how he would have done it with a really good uh, Nightwing script. If they had done a Nightwing movie with a really good script, I, I think he, he's could really pull it off. He, again, just a really bad script he had to work with. But I, I, I always think when I think of Nightwing and I read Nightwing, for some reason I think of Chris O'Donnell. I think he would be a great uh, Nightwing in his own movie with the right script. Yeah, because the problem, problem with him was he was so old. He was 26 and playing Robin. He, he would have been a much yeah. better Nightwing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's kind of hard to picture for me anyway as like him as a good Nightwing or Robin. Just the whole story point, like you said, with Batman Forever where – he was adopted by or taken in by Bruce Wayne at such an old age. It's just kind of hard for me to picture that because, right, if they redid the whole story and script or anything, he could probably do a good job, I would say, but it's just hard for me to picture him as a good yeah. Nightmare Robbins from what happened in Batman Forever. Yeah, well, is he a good actor? Is is Chris O'Donnell just a good actor? Because I haven't really seen him too much in anything yeah. besides Batman Forever, and the first movie I saw him in was... Uh, like the old Three Musketeers back in the 90s. <laughs> well, now he's on the t- that TV series. He's on TV now. One of the CSI shows. CSI, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. In, in Batman and Robin, his costume is basically Nightwing's costume, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, especially now the New 52 Nightwing. With the yeah, red logo. The red color, yeah. yeah. If they just took out the nipples, it wouldn't look that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about... Going to like the more TV shows or like animated series shows, discovering all of them. Batman the animated series, Very in the Bold, The Batman, even an Adam West episode. Do you guys think there's a standout episode from any of those series that you think doesn't get recognized enough? Can I say Scooby Doo meets Batman? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think The Batman doesn't. It's kind of like Lost. It's kind of like the middle child between the animated series and The Brave and the Bold, and um. I remember when it first came out, I saw like some toys at Target with the Batman and I'm like, what is this? And I was so angry at it because I was like, because I love the animated series and I'm like, I can't believe they're getting rid of the animated series for this. But um, 
after, and I know a lot of people who just refused to watch it and were just angry at it because it wasn't the animated series. Uh, and the first season or two are a little shaky. And the first show I ever watched was with like the dreadlock Joker, uh, which just soured it for me. But, um, the final couple seasons, like the last two or three seasons when they started to do the justice league, um, and have green lantern and Superman and Batgirl and, and Robin were actually really good. And it did a really cool take on it. In most of the comic books, it's always like Superman and, you know, the Flash or Wonder Woman getting the Justice League together. And Batman is re- pretty reluctant to do it or he's an outsider or doesn't want full membership. And this was the complete opposite. This was Batman was forming the Justice League and getting everybody together. And Superman was the one who was like, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe not. And it, I thought that was a cool twist. And if you think about it, like, why would Superman need the Justice League? Like, Batman needs the Justice League to, for help, but Superman doesn't. He just do it himself. Why does he need them? So um, I thought that was a, a pretty good take. And just when it started to get good, that's when it, you know, got replaced by the Brave and the Bold, which was pretty awesome. So I can't complain. But um, that I, I wish it had been on for a little more than three years. But, um, yeah, I'd say the Batman's probably the most underrated of all the animated series in recent times. For me, I, I uh, always loved in the Amity series the um, the character of the Clock King, and I could never understand why they never wrote him into the comic books. And uh, I, I thought the performance was good. On, yeah. on the, on the, they were some of my favorite episodes had the Clock King, especially with the, when they showed his origin um, story and uh, how you know how he's late for court, and then you know he's, he's a guy that's so stuck on time and everything. Yeah. But uh, I'm just surprised that they didn't. They never used that in the comics, so it was always one of my favorite characters. And then with the um, the 1966 Batman, I I liked the episodes with the, the character False Face. And again, I I was surprised that they never went with that character in the comic book, where it, you know, this villain could just change his appearance, you know, constantly wearing different faces, and you never knew who he was and everything. I just thought there was a lot of possibilities with those two villains that. Uh, Underrated in the sense that they, they they never found their way into the comic books of re, of late. Anyway, I've never read one with them unless you go back far enough about something I didn't read. But I can't remember anything with those two characters in the comics. Yeah, even in the this mentioned false face in the old sixty six TV show. That's the character I don't even really remember too much from that series. Like you said, he's never really mentioned amongst like the old Adam West TV show villains. Like you always hear about. Of course, the main villain, but like. King Tut, Egghead, those are like the joke villains you always hear of, but False Face, I never, don't really remember too much about him. Yeah, I think the um, the Black Mask, I, I, first time I started reading comics, I thought Black, Black Mask was going to end up being like the False Face, where he'd wear different faces and stuff, and uh, you'd tell, you couldn't tell who he was, but uh, that, that never never went that way. I think there was actually um, a Batman Beyond villain that, I don't know if he was called False Face, but he was a character where his face was messed up, but he was able to kind of change how he looks. And I just wonder if that's what's kind of an inspiration for that too. Yeah, he actually was called False Face in Batman Beyond. Yeah, I just think that I just think that's a great concept, you know, to have in the comic with this, this character that can just change his appearance, and Batman is, you know, can't can't find him. I actually thought that that was the direction they were going to go with the Joker when he cut his face off. I thought he was going to start to, you know, reappear um, as you know, different different people, and Batman didn't know which one was the Joker because he kept putting on these different faces, but they never did. They didn't go that direction, so. Yeah, maybe too because we already have Clayface. So maybe they don't want to have too many like shapeshifters of people who can change their looks in there. Well, yeah, it's true. They have a, yeah, Clayface. But, yeah. Yeah. 
How about you, Dane? Any episodes from any of the Batman series that you feel are underrated? No, not really. I mean, I hate to let you down, Tim. (laughs) There's got to be one that you think nobody else likes but you. (laughs) Well, I mean, the... The Batman animated series was highly acclaimed. I can't say anything about it that hasn't already been said. Um, never really watched the Batman. I caught a couple of, couple of episodes here and there. And uh, I didn't watch uh, Brave and the Bold. So, I mean, I, I feel kind of under... Um, exper- under-experienced? Is that the word? <laughs> <laughs> to, to really give a, a comment about that. Not qualified, I guess. Not yeah, qualified, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. That's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, according to ju- Justice, Le- what is it? Young Justice, you're whelmed. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, for me, I think probably the, if I had to pick an underrated episode of the series, it'd probably be uh, The Appointment in Crime Alley from Batman the Animated Series. That's probably like my second favorite episode of the whole series, and Whenever you hear mention of the greatest mm. episodes, I rarely hear that one get mentioned. I just think it's a great telling of uh, – they don't necessarily go into detail of Bruce's origin with his parents getting murdered, but they hint back at that where you see him – he's pretty much patrolling Crime Alley, and he has Leslie Tompkins is in there. You see him look at old police files of his parents' murder. And the whole point of the episode was he's trying to keep his appointment with Leslie to go to his, the spot where his parents were murdered to leave the roses that he does every year. But certain things keep happening throughout the night, and then he's trying to stop Daggett from blowing up Crime Alley. So this is a great episode that ties it all back to why Bruce Wayne is Batman. I just think they did a great job with that. So I'd like to hear that one get a little more appreciation when everyone talks about their favorite Batman animated series episode, because I think it's great. But um, I guess with that, I think that's about all the things I was wanting to know what you guys thought were underrated, unless you guys had any other things you wanted to bring out. Artists, maybe? There you go. For me, artist is hard because um, the ones that I like aren't really underrated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same with me. Yeah, so it's kind of like just picking your favorite artist, but not necessarily yeah. underrated. Fine then. <laughs> well, can I say? Can, my, yeah. can I say my brother-in-law? How about that underrated artist? Oh, there you go. Great. <laughs> yeah. right, so is that it? Anything else? Well, unless you wanted to bring up your underrated artist. <laughs> um. No, because I just realized that all of my favorite artists are underrated. <laughs> I mean, I, I could make an argument for uh, Dust in the Wind, but yeah, you see, I don't think he's underrated. Of, <laughs> he still gets a lot of praise. Yeah, so I can't really make an argument for that. Maybe um, five years ago, you could. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you see his uh, panel in in the Detective Comics uh, nine hundred? Yeah. With him and the Joker, that was really good. That was gr- I think that was the best one panel of all of them. That was yeah, really cool. Fortunately, that it was probably the best that, part of that. Was, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we'll get into later, but yeah, unfortunately, I, I think that was just placed in that book because I've seen that before. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think they just put it in there. Just hey, Dustin Wynn is still with us. Just so they could charge us seven ninety nine for the yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that's it for 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 a future topic. That that was a long future topic. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of underrated people in the Batman who <laughs> weren't. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Um, so I mean, I guess we can talk about. I mean, I I read this article about this Carrie Kelly coming back, and I'm not sure how I feel about it because they're they're not exactly saying she's Robin, and 
I mean, if she's not Robin, then they're just bringing her back in just to say, hey, look at DC Comics. We brought in somebody that wasn't mm-hmm. part of continuity into the continuity. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way you did. Like, I don't know how I feel. But it was kind of cool on one hand. At the same time, I thought the same yeah. thing, where it just like it seems like a stunt thing to do to get people interested in the in the Batman titles again, which really you don't need to get like that much new interest in it because that's probably it's their most popular book and they don't need to do these big stunts to try to get I guess more mainstream attention for it. But I don't know, we'll see how it plays out in the end. But they like you said, they didn't even say if she is gonna be Robert or not. And then we're all speculating on Harper Row and I don't know, we'll just we'll see how it works out, but I'm not sure on it like you are. I think I read that the the um the DC New 52 isn't selling that well. So, I mean, if, if they are doing this for the sales, then it's just something I can't get behind anymore. I mean, first they killed off Robin, and I don't think they handled it very well. And then now we get this, where the future is uncertain with the character, with, with Carrie Kelly. I mean, I, I just don't know what they're doing. Well, I think you just said it, money. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess. <laughs> See, I got mixed emotions about this because I love the character. And so the idea of her becoming a member of, you know, the new, you know, 52 and being part of the stories and all that is awesome. But it just feels like a stunt. It feels like she's going to be in like one or two issues or just used for sales. And and then we'll never see or hear from her again. So if they're actually going to actually make her a really good character and have good stories and I'm on board. I think it's it's great. Uh, if not, and it's just to get everybody to buy the book. Um, and then because uh, in the article, one article says that they sold the, out the issue. There was like, I guess, 18,000, you know, issues available for um, uh, order and they sold them all out in a day. So there's definitely kind of a sales driven thing. If it's just sales and then she's forgotten about and uh, it'll be very disappointing. Well, if they're selling that good, you would think that they're going to, you know, try, want to keep it going, so they'll keep her around if they, if she's still selling. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, if they sold that yeah. many, why are they going to get rid of her? <laughs> keep yeah. her around if she's selling books. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, like, how good the story is, if it'll keep up, or if it's written poorly and she just doesn't fit, and the sales drop off, we'll see if they get rid of her or not. But I was just thinking, too, I mean, there's other characters in the Batman universe who haven't showed up at the 52, like, of course, Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain. And I was just thinking... Wouldn't it be better if they brought them into the New 52 since they have already been in established continuity? And Carrie Kelly has only been in the Dark Knight Returns continuity. And Yeah, but, I mean, on the other hand, you have Stephanie Brown, who people don't really know. I mean, people outside of us, I guess. And um, you have Carrie Kelly, who, I mean, everybody that probably reads comics has read the Dark Knight Returns. So... Mm-hmm. I guess going back to what I was saying earlier, it's the better financial move. Yeah. And if they were going to bring her in, it's a good time because with the release of The Dark Knight Returns on DVD, parts one and two, there's a whole other fan base who will want to pick it up after watching those movies recently. So it's a good good timing for that aspect of it. Yeah. I think those people are going to expect her to be Robin, though. I mean, I think the way they bring her in and what what they do with her is going to determine everything. But if people are buying that book to see the character that they saw in the in the DVD, I, I don't I don't think they're going to put those glasses on her and put the old Robin costume on her. And so they might be disappointed. 
That's true too. Yeah, I haven't personally heard too much like from fans saying, "Oh, we wish Carrie Kelly was in the main Batman continuity, or she was like his main Robin." Have you guys heard that like kind of outcry from fans and all about that? Because you know we hear a lot about Stephanie Brown to return, but even like before the New Fifty Two, I never heard too much of an outcry for. Uh, Carrie Kelly to be in the main continuity. So, like, mm-hmm. is there even, like, a big demand from fans at all that wanted her to be the main Robin? I can't think of. The only thing I remember with Batman, um, Batman Beyond, it coming up every now and again, people mentioning whether she was in that universe, because that would have been set in the time when she would have been alive, uh, you know, but, um, no, nah, I've, I've never heard a big demand. I heard more demand for Tim Drake than anything else, so... <laughs> Yeah, so it seems like people mainly just want the characters they're familiar with before the New 52, like we said, Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane. Uh, I think we all said it's just a stunt that they're trying to pull, and we'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, as a fan, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, because you want to see, yeah. Yeah, how they're going to write her, how she's going to play into uh, the um, the main continuity. I mean, apparently she, she knew Damien, Um but only as a fan, it's interesting. But, I mean, as for me, I, like, I could care less whether she's in the continuity or not. But, I mean, as a fan, it'll be cool to see her in the New 52. Yeah. yeah she might be just there in name only, really. But might not resemble the Carrie Kelly from uh, from the um, other story, you know, not at all. So, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. In the news article, I don't know if you've seen the news article, but it has the, the full cover uh, folded out. And uh, she looks pretty much like the the Robin from The Dark Knight Returns, but whether mm. that's just the cover or whether ha- that's how she'll be in the story, right? It's debatable. Who knows what the inside will look? But on the cover, but you don't see the cover until you fold it out. So, um, but now, what, what issue was that, Terrence? That she's on? Uh, Nineteen. I, I guess it comes out this week. Of it, it was the Batman and Robin series by Tomasi right. and Gleason and now they, yeah. they're changing the name of it for the next few months and right. so it's actually called Batman and Red Robin issue 19 okay. uh, and with the fold out cover and so when you fold it out it's got the uh, the thing that, and originally I was going to mention this later but the fold out covers were supposed to have that WTF on it which we talked about that being very tacky and, and just kind of inappropriate for comics and I haven't seen that. Did anybody see anything about them pulling the WTF on that? Or, or? Yeah, I think they did say a few weeks ago that they weren't going to have it on there. Okay. I don't good. know if they give a specific reason, but they probably just realized it was pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just tacky. It's just, you know, yeah. But, um, yeah, changing the subject anyway from Kerry Kelly. Uh, are, one... are, are we finally going to talk about your um, trip to the optometrist? <laughs> oh, yes, that's what I was going to bring up. <laughs> Please <laughs> tell us. <laughs> Enlighten us. Like, How bad your vision is. Well, I got some good news that my eyes didn't get any worse, which is nice because <laughs> ever since I was a little kid, they've got progressively worse and worse and worse. <laughs> but now they've been stable for two years or two or three years, and they said I might be ready for a LASIK surgery. So that's something no, to that's consider. I'm, I'm sure everyone was dying to know that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you read comics? You just had to like hold it like like arm's length away from you to like read the words or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm nearsighted where I can't see far away, oh, so I had to bring it pretty put close. it up to your face. <laughs> well, I always read with my contacts on, so. I was oh, fine. I see. But you're not yeah. going with the glasses. No, I have glasses, but oh, they're only for emergencies. But oh, my, I, I'm pretty blind. <laughs> Whenever you see those like TV shows where someone's glasses get knocked off, and you see them trying to search for it, everything's blurry. 
that's pretty much how my eyes are. <laughs> but uh, what I really wanted to talk about was uh, the story that broke as, or last week where they said Bruce Tim was stepping down as the producer for all the DC animated movies, which um, at first it was kind of like it made out that he was going to step away from Warner Brothers animation altogether, where he was kind of retiring or whatever just to work on his own projects. Which is when I first saw it, I was like, oh man, that's really disappointing. I can't picture any DC animated stuff without Bruce Tim being involved. But uh, later on, it was kind of, this gets us taken out of context a little bit where uh, they said, no, he's just kind of taking a break from as a produced role for the movies, but he's developing more animated projects for Warner Brothers. He's not leaving. So, but then they kind of gave a tease where wait till you see what he's working on next. You're going to love it. So, like, relieved at the same time. Uh, why'd you have to say that? Now I just want to find out what he's working on. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but is he staying in the, the DC universe, or is he yeah. going off? Oh, okay. No, he is. That was kind of like the big question. Like, yeah. I would think to myself, man, is he going to go to Marvel or something? <laughs> oh. Which I actually... They take Jeff Loeb, now they take, um, what's his Paul name? Paul Dini, they took, yeah. Yeah, Paul Dini. <laughs> Which I actually wouldn't mind. I mean, he's obviously he's done great with DC stuff, but I would love to see him do some, like, Marvel stuff, a Spider-Man or an X-Men cartoon. I wouldn't. <laughs> so you're, I wouldn't. <laughs> what he do, he'd make him so cool though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I was actually a little worried when I heard that. Like, oh no, he's not going to be involved anymore. <laughs> I was like, first George Lucas retires from Star Wars, and now Bruce <laughs> Tim is leaving WB Animation. All my creative heroes are stepping down. <laughs> not to mention Dave Filoni. Well, he still has a job with Lucas Animation. He's be developing new animated series, though. Yeah, but the thing is, they, they didn't say that he is working on a, uh, a new show. Well, because it's not there is no new show yet. They're in the early stages of developing what that show is going to be, so uh, he's still with Lucas Animation. Okay. I'm kind of yeah. hoping he's going to be the new Bruce Timm of the Star Wars animated series. <laughs> so, so what would you do if you found out tomorrow that uh, Lucasfilm fired Dave Filoni? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be the final straw there's a long streak of stupid decisions yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of the animated movies because part of the whole Bruce Tim announcement thing was that James Tucker was taking over his spot as producer of all the new animated movie stuff which I think is a great choice I mean he probably has more of a like encyclopedia knowledge of the DC universe and DC history probably more than Bruce Tim I mean he he's like nuts about that stuff and continuity and the history of it so I think he'll do a great job and one of the things he mentioned was that they're going to try to find more ways to incorporate other DC heroes into these movies, kind of, instead of us always being Batman, Superman, and Justice League. That's all we get. But at the same time, they did, like, the Green Lantern and the Wonder Woman movies. Those didn't sell well, so they can't make more of those. So they're just going to try to incorporate other characters into, like, a Batman, Superman movie, which I think is a pretty good idea just to have them get more exposure. And then the, pretty much the first one of these is going to be the new Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, which just officially got its release date and announcement, which comes out in July, which I think is pretty cool. Because I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was going to ask you, Mike, kind of what's your thoughts or anticipation oh. for the new Flashpoint movie? Because I personally can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rich and I talked about this on our last podcast uh, with, the, with the news just coming out, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I... I don't know what they're going to do as far as keeping it with the with the comic. Uh, I tend to think that it's going to be more of Barry messes up the timeline, and the whole idea is Barry gets into this uh, Flashpoint world, and he's trying to uh, 
fix it and get back rather than the idea of Zoom, you know, being uh, being the cause of it. But I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just based on some of the things I read. I kind of got that feeling that Barry was the one that kind of messed up the timeline. But I, I can't wait to see some of these characters um, in the um, Flashpoint world. I mean, I know they're not going to really you know, dive into them each, but uh, just to see them on the screen, some of these different characters, because I, I really like some of the characters that they uh, they came up with in the Flashpoint world and uh, would love to see some some more stories with some of these characters, uh, even some of the new ones that uh, they didn't revamp, like the Outsider. I'd love to see see him on that screen and, and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, when they first announced it, I was kind of hoping to myself. I know they're probably going to mainly focus on the main Flashpoint miniseries, but I was kept thinking in the back of my head, oh, I wish they could get the, like we talked about, the Brian Azzarello Batman Flashpoint series in there somewhere. <laughs> Just kind yeah, of. I sure hope we see him on the screen. If nothing yeah. else, we got to see him. <laughs> yeah, I think the Thomas Wayne Batman will definitely be in it, but I just kind of hope, you know, I hope they do the whole the Joker's thing and what happens in that stuff, so, but... Well, if the movie is successful, maybe they will go that route. Maybe we'll get some uh, some um, some movies down the line in, in the Flashpoint world. I mean, that'd be great. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> and of course, probably the best part of the announcement: Kevin Conroy will be back as Batman, <laughs> but only in the non-Flashpoint era right. scenes. Yeah, yeah. Which I I always thought, oh, he's going to be the Thomas Wayne Batman. So, but apparently, that's, that's what I thought too. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm curious to see who's going to play the role of that Batman because they didn't announce the whole cast yet. I mean, Kevin Conroy's in it. And Dana Delaney's going to be back as Lois Lane, which is cool. But, like, they didn't say who's playing Flash and who's playing Superman and some other characters. So I guess they're holding off on that a little bit later. But I just think yeah. it's, too, that uh, it's coming out a little earlier than the normal last. Like, there's three movies in a year. Usually the last one comes out in the fall, like September, October. But this one's in July, which is, like, a month after Superman Unbound comes back or comes out. So mm. we're getting two movies pretty close to each other, which I think is cool. I sure hope they uh, touch on the uh, Project Superman a little bit. Yeah. I mean, even, if, even if we see him, like, you know, as a kid and they don't go into the whole story, if we just, just to see him, for those of us that have read the minis and we know the background, just to see him will be really cool. Yeah. So I was like, after the Batman Flashpoint tie-ins, uh, Superman was probably my next favorite. I just loved how different the take was on him in that storyline. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was Scott Snyder who wrote that, wasn't that the Superman one? He was involved with it, but he didn't actually write all of it. It's his story, but I don't think he was oh, okay. able to write He's it. He's a co-writer. Yeah, yeah the whole thing. Even uh, I really liked too the in the Flashpoint minis, um, the whole Aquaman Wonder Woman war. Hopefully, they'll be able to keep some of that. And uh, yeah. the the Deathstroke was really good too. I don't know if they'll put that in there. That was kind of obscure, but that that was really cool. He was like kind of like a almost like a pirate on the 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 ocean and searching for his kids and stuff. So, yeah, that was, my, that was actually my favorite, uh, rendition of Deathstroke. Yeah, it was really good. So I wish I keep, we should keep him like that. You know, I mean, yeah. I was hoping in the new, uh, new 52, some of these characters would, would carry over. And that was one I was really hoping for is Deathstroke as the pirate. I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of disappointed how few carryovers from flashpoint to the new 52. There was, especially some of them who were completely revamped because the flashpoint, versions were really good for a lot of them. Yeah, well, Terrence, in the press release, they did say that Deathstroke will be in it, and he's going to be played by Ron Perlman, which should be pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. nice. Yeah, can I can I bring something up? What do you, what do you guys think about the, um, I, I guess it's a rumor at this point, of um, uh, the, uh, now, now I'm, I'm having a senior moment here. Oh, Chris <laughs> Nolan. Chris Nolan uh, coming on board to possibly do this uh, Justice League movie. 
uh, and being in charge of uh, you know overseeing yeah, I, movies I for DC. They, I, I thought they said that. Um, I think there was like an audio clip that came out in the Latino Review or something, or a video clip or something that uh, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bell aren't gonna have anything to do with this Justice League thing. Yeah, that oh, happened like a few days ago, which. Yeah, kind of got me disappointed when I heard that. I was like, no. <laughs> oh, okay. So that that rumor is false then. It's like, no. It's like, it's kind of true. That's what Warner Brothers wants to do, but they're having trouble getting it done. Is what I'm hearing about it. Okay. So, I just hope they find some way to work it out because that's what finally got me excited about the Justice League movie again. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see what it pans out. I think a lot's riding on Man of Steel. Maybe if that does really good at the box office, that'll be enough to convince Nolan to kind of. Maybe get more involved with it, but yeah, but yeah, but do you guys think that Man of Steel is going to do big business for for Warner Brothers? Because I I can't really see it doing doing that much. I, I'm hearing great things about it, but at the same time, yeah. I mean that doesn't translate to big box office numbers when, with good reviews. So it, I think it's kind of hard to tell see how people respond to it because Superman Returns didn't do that good. Yeah. And, this looks like to be a better movie for what I'm hearing, but yeah, it's, it's hard to judge right now. The general public seems to have this weird perception of Superman right now. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the reviews. I think a lot of people who aren't Superman fans or aren't into the comics are just going to wait and see, you know, and if they're hearing good things, word of mouth gets out, then they'll go and see it. But uh, but if not, then yeah, then it's going to bomb. But you, you have your regulars that will definitely go and see it. But I think it's going to, the reviews are going to be the thing that brings people in or not. Yeah, and I thought Superman Returns got pretty good reviews too when that first came out, but I don't know. I don't, it obviously didn't help it, but and the movie wasn't <laughs> that great, but for the most part, I thought it got pretty positive reviews, but it didn't really help the box office. So. Well, I mean, it did big money. It did a, a just lot not of enough. For, yeah. yeah, just not enough. I mean, uh, I don't know why, like, $500 million isn't enough, but I guess it isn't, or whatever it is. So, yeah, is that, is that it? I think that's about it for me, anyway. Terrence? Yeah, no, no news for me. Okay. All right, so I guess we can get into our listener feedback section, or you know what? I'm just gonna rename it to Alex feedback <laughs> section already. <laughs> what what Alex thinks? That's gonna be the name of it. Hey guys, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but uh, I'm kind of on a, ti- a time schedule here. I'm gonna have to kind of sign off at this point. Okay. Uh, okay. I gotta be, yeah, I gotta be done at seven. But uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on the podcast. It was great. I had a great time. Cool. Hey, yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on. No yeah, thanks. It was great chatting with you. All right, guys. Good night. All right, you too. All right. All right, so I guess we can get into what we've renamed uh, what Alex thinks or, or what Alex thinks section because Alex is the only one that emails us um, on a regular basis, even though he didn't email us um, for our last show, which uh, made I'm me feel you, like Alex. I'm yeah, it made me feel like he, he was cheating on me with another <laughs> podcast, Alex. But uh, uh, Terrence, uh, why don't you take this? Sure. Uh, we got an email from Alex, uh, and he wished us all a happy Easter. And uh, he said he's he's doing pretty good. Um, he got a, an anointing of the sick from his priest on the day he sent this on April third. So he's he's feeling better. Uh, and he says hope hope we're enjoying the new season. Uh, and he said thanks for the podcast. It was another great episode. I really liked your discussion on The Dark Knight Rises, and I agree how unfairly it's been treated. Those top ten lists are all ridiculous. 
I've noticed that a lot of them are coming from sites that gave the movie high praise, but I guess decided to join in on the hating on hating the movie. Lately, it's been the cool thing to hate on Batman in general because he's popular. The Avengers was the biggest reason why it didn't do so well. I think a lot of people got their superhero fix from that. Like you said, it appealed much more to a younger audience because of the more lighthearted, comedic tone of the film, but also bright superhero comics beat out suits. I had no interest in the Avengers when it was in theaters, so I could be wrong. Your explanation of the Joker being a much more marketable character was dead on. He pro- he's probably the most flamboyant of a character the Nolan movies would get, although I saw um, a picture, and it's a picture of uh, like a... Uh, Nolan Superman and a Nolan Batman together so he's kind of hinting at maybe like a world's finest movie um, and uh, let's see and then here's his question and his uh, question is kind of interesting so I'll throw this out to you guys he says I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Clone War series I just decided to check it out this year but I couldn't get into it it seems good but I'm not really a Star Wars fan Visually, it looks incredible. So I'll give my comments first, which is I have not seen the Clone War series, uh, but I want to, and I'm at, planning at some point in my life to sit down and kind of go through the whole series. Hopefully, it'll be on Netflix where I can watch them. It, it was um, on a, a for sale on Amazon, but I, I couldn't justify spending the money just yet. So uh, m- I'm hoping to see it someday soon. Uh, and then Tim is, uh, you know, does the Clone Wars podcast. So there's hours and hours of what he thinks of it out there for you to listen to. But I'll let Tim give his uh, brief. Tim, what do you think of the Clone Wars? <laughs> hey, wait, be, be, before Tim give, gives his comments, <laughs> okay. I'll just make this really brief for you, Alex. Um, the Clone Wars is um, is the Batman the animated series for Star Wars. Is what I would. Chalk it up to. That's um, a great way to say it. Yeah, I went through five seasons in like about a month, and I have to say, financially, I have no regrets in buying both the Blu-rays and the digital downloads. So I would definitely go out and buy it if you're a fan of the prequels, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how far you got to watching it, Alex, but um, I would say just keep watching. Um, the first season is probably. The, you know, the first thing is always where the show tries to find its ground, and certain episodes probably aren't the best of the series. But um, definitely keep watching. The show is amazing, especially. I know you said you're not much of a Star Wars fan, so maybe there's certain things that uh, just aren't grabbing you right away, like what normal Star Wars fans. But there's great stories coming up, especially in the second seasons, where I think it really kicks into gear and finds its groove. This pretty much everything from the second season beyond is just awesome, with a few. Episodes that don't quite hold up in the third season, but uh, it's definitely worth the, your time and money, I would say, to watch it, because there's some stories in there that are probably just as good as some of the Star Wars movies, if not better than some, I would say, because to me, it's everything, Star Wars is all together as far as one big franchise where it's kind of, for me anyway, hard to separate it from, well, it's not really in the movie, so I don't really look at it the same way. Not with the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars, there's some stuff in there that's, like I said, just as good, if not better, than some things you would see in the movies. So definitely keep watching. I know I had to persist with Dane to watch it because he kept asking me about it. Should I watch it? Should I get involved with it? Is it worth it? Yeah. I kept telling him, yes, you have to. So And look. And then I got involved, <laughs> and it got canceled. So I'm just a bundle of joy over here. <laughs> well, maybe if I get Alex involved or able to watch the whole series, he'll get it back, kind of balancing things out. 
getting you in to cancel it, getting Alex to bring it back. There'll <laughs> <laughs> be yeah, balance to the force. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's an awesome series, Alex. I would suggest you continue watching it if you're able to. It's one of my favorite series ever. Of course, being Star Wars, it's probably expect that from me, but <laughs> it's true. All right, so Tim, Clone Wars or oh, I know it's um, not. Uh, <laughs> Batman the Animated Series, the original run, the original run of not, oh, or you know what, all of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I can't say a tie because that would be a cop out. Yeah. But if I had to choose, just slightly, <laughs> I'm going to go with Batman the Enemy Series. Oh, <laughs> you lost all dollars credibility now. No, don't say that. Uh, just, uh, what they did with that, I mean, it was, I don't want to say the Clone Wars isn't groundbreaking, but it's Batman the Enemy Series, we've never seen anything like that as far as, like, a cartoon or that's taking taking it seriously, really. I think that paves the way for yeah. all future animated series to kind of be taken seriously, where it's not just toned down for kids, but with adult stories. And one of the coolest things that I heard on a, one of the latest Full Assist podcasts, where Dave Filoni actually gave credit to uh, Batman animated series and Bruce Timm, and kind of how that's an influence for him. So yeah, it all goes back to that, which. <laughs> To me, I have to give it a little edge. All right, so I will be sending an email anonymously to Michael Cohen of Uh-oh. the Horrors <laughs> podcast. You're going to get me kicked off that site. <laughs> yep. This guy isn't really a fan. I'm sorry you were fooled, but he lies a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway, is it... it is that it from uh, Alex's well, segment? Well, he says, as I mentioned before, that if we go forth with a new podcast on Cyborg, he's on board, but Plastic Man, where he's not so keen on. Uh, and so, as always, thank you, Alex. Remember, we do this podcast for you. So. <laughs> yes, we do. It's all for Alex in the end, because Alex is uh, hes our go-to email writer. We can always call on him, except for that one week where he cheated on us with the other Batman podcasts out there, <laughs> I'm assuming. He did. I've seen him on the comments of the other oh, that's it, Alex. podcast, and I've, you know, kind of gotten a little heartbroken. Alex, you're not our number one fan anymore. You're our number two fan. <laughs> First, it's uh, it's Tim's mom, <laughs> and uh, then it's Alex. But if you watch all the Clone Wars, you'll be back as number one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so I guess we can get into some comic book reviews. Again, this is going to be very, very spoilerish, spoilery, spoilerific, spoilertastic, so, spoiltastic. <laughs> so if you didn't read the comics from the past two weeks, you really don't want to listen to, the, or you might want to come back to this section after you read the comics. But if you want to be spoiled, you know, just continue listening because. I mean, it's a free world, man. I, I I can't tell you what to do with your life. And choosing to be spoiled in the world is really serious, so yep. <laughs> choose wisely. <laughs> choose choose very, very wisely. But for this episode, we have the weeks of March 27th and April 3rd. For March 27th, we have Batman Inc. number 9 and Batman the Dark Knight number 18. For April 3rd, we have Batwing number 19 and Detective Comics number 19. So for 
uh, March 27th. Uh, I guess we can start off on Batman Inc. number 9, since I didn't read it. Um, First, <laughs> we need a rating scale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, so our rating scale for this um, this podcast is going to be comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're really not, because uh, they actually suck in real life. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to be our rating scale. So, for... Uh, March 27th. Did you guys want to do Batman Inc. number 9? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think this is an issue that, one of the few issues besides Batman and Robin that lived up to the Requiem logo <laughs> that's on the cover. But I just like how it started out with they're in the graveyard bringing the coffin of Damien's body and burying it. Then it then goes back to actually showing Batman fighting that uh, grown-up clone of Damien. I just love that action sequence. When he brags to Batman that he... Uh, he's the one who killed Damien, and then this Batman goes off on him, breaks his sword with his foot, which is awesome, and just starts really wailing into him. I also love seeing Dick's reaction when he woke up and he sees Damien's body, just kept saying to himself, no, no, this, like, this can't be happening. I just love how the issue went back and forth, like it, it would go to the burials scene and then back to the action sequence, kind of showing you how everything played out in the end. So I thought that was really good. And then also, too, at the uh, kind of in the middle of it is where I thought it was, I wouldn't say weak, but I just wish it kind of mainly focused on the Bat family dealing with Damien's death and the outcome of that final battle. But then we got a little insight as to what uh, Squire is doing after the death of Knight. It looks like she's going to take on the mantle of, of Knight now. And it's kind of showing what Batman Incorporated's next move is going to be. But then I just loved how the issue ended with uh, Bruce in the Batcave kind of getting ready to go back in the fight. And he actually presses the button on the Bat computer that says Damien is now deceased. And he puts on the Batman costume. He sees, he actually sees Bat Cow and just goes to pet it. And the cow, uh, he just gives out a, a moo and then Batman just loses it. Just kind of screams. On the last page, you see a bunch of bats flying out. You just see Batman screaming. I just thought it was a great way to end it. So, yeah, definitely a, finally a good Requiem issue <laughs> besides Batman and Robin from the last month. So, I'm going to go ahead and give this one four and a half of uh, comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not. That was a really great follow up to the, last issue of Damien's death. Yeah, I agree. This is a really good, um, like sort of like Grant Morrison's take on the Requiem. Uh, you know, the artwork, as always, I love Chris Burnham's artwork. I think it's really great. The story, he did a uh, great job, you know, like you said, going back and forth between the, the funeral scene and the action scene. So you got a little bit of both at the same time, and, and they balanced that really well. And um, uh there was the one part, I don't know if you caught it, I'm, I can't find it right now, where they mentioned the Lazarus pit in, in it. They said something about there's no more Lazarus pits. And they're like, well, maybe not so fast. Maybe there are. So I thought that was maybe some foreshadowing of what might happen to Damien in the future if they're going to bring him back. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree totally with you, and I, I would give this four and a half uh, comics that to pr- pretend to be milestone issues when really they're not. Okay, cool. Yeah, so – Next was uh, Batman the Dark Knight, number 18. What do you think of this one, Terrence? Yeah, you know, I, I really like this because it, it gave, um, you know, further into the Mad Hatter story. And we were kind of speculating on, well, what, what made him the Mad Hatter? And 
at first, you know, his childhood was looking pretty good. And, you know, and so I think, I forget if it was you or Dane suggested that, well, maybe this was just him imagining it yeah. being really good. Um, but it turns out it actually was. It was really good until all his friends started growing and he didn't. Uh, and then apparently he went through some kind of experimental treatment to grow, which really affected his uh, mental capacity there. So I thought that was a really good take and twist on it. And um, it was pretty cool when he when he found his Alice and she's just like this washed up old lady ironing clothes and everything. That that was a really good twist, too. Um, as always, Ethan Van Skyver, I really like his art. I love the big ears on the Batman. I love how he draws Batman. Um, and this, I, I really moved the story along, really was a good backstory. I, I've been kind of disappointed on the, um, new 52s, how they keep changing every character and, uh, we can get into how they change the man bat character, you know, for detectives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this was one where I felt like the changes were good and, and done very well. Um, and the artwork is good. Uh, so, yeah, I would give this four um, comics that pretend to be milestone issues when really they're not. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, at first, um, everything you said about the Mad Hatter, I agree. I mean, I did say on the last uh, issue of The Dark Knight that I hope this isn't like this hallucination he's having or he's just remembering it in a different way. I really hope that was his childhood. And it did stay that way. And I just really liked how it's something different for a villain where he doesn't have the tragic background of bad family or a girl he loved kind of turned him down and would just mean to him all the time. But no, he, he does, like you said, that problem he had with growing and he took those experimental medications that kind of pushed him over the deep end. I loved how all that played out and everything. Like you said, we're seeing uh, Alice as uh, as she is now, just kind of like a, just a washed up old housewife who's just ironing. And then this is what Matt Hatter does to her where he just kills her because she's not the same <laughs> yeah. anymore. I did like the parallel that um, him and Batman's story was kind of having. At first, in the beginning, I kind of felt like the whole thing with Batman and what he's going through, kind of wanting to uh, be back in a relationship with Natalia. And then I felt that scene with Catwoman just felt a little out of place. And that's probably the one weakness I had with the issue, but I could did kind of enjoy how it was paralleling what Mad Hatter was going through, how they wish things would stay the same if you can go back and keep things from changing and keep them the way you want it to be, because Batman was wishing his he had a relationship with Natalia again, and then Matt Hatter was thinking or wishing that he had that relationship with Alice that he always wanted to. So I loved how that was parallel to each other. But um, I don't know. I did find it a little strange that Bruce would go to her apartment and then reveal to her that he is Batman. He did it in a cool way, though, just by having bringing the yeah. Batwing up and taking her to the Batcave. I just felt that, I don't know, maybe the relationship wasn't that uh, – we haven't seen much of it yet. I know Greg Hurwitz brought her in the first Scarecrow story up, but I just feel we don't know too much in Natalia yet for Bruce to make this big reveal that he's revealing that he's Batman to her. So I think I like it for the most part, but I just think we could have should have had more stories with her and had, I guess, more background on her, get to know her a little more before Bruce makes this big reveal to her. So, But overall, I thought the issue was great. I really love what Greg Hurwitz is doing with the Mad Hatter. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're really not. Yeah, I just piggyback on what you said there. I agree with that, Natalia. I think because she's not been in any other books, mm -hmm. she just feels like kind of like a creation of this story and you and you don't really know how she fits in 
you know, and, and the rest of it. And the Catwoman thing felt forced, although Ethan Van Skyver draws Catwoman awesome. I, and um, I kind of liked it because Batman just kind of like tells Catwoman he's not interested, which was kind kind of makes up for Catwoman number one, where they had that horrible interaction scene. This is kind of like, okay, this is how it would really go. Thank you for clarifying kind of thing. So, yep, I agree. Well, this probably was the best Catwoman we've read in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you see, I don't think that that's real. Um, Bruce revealing himself to Natalia. You know what? I kind of, when I was reading it, I go, maybe that is the case, but then it didn't end with anything that would make you think that, but you might be right. Maybe. Yeah, be, yeah, because I, I think he goes along with, I mean, there was that one scene where uh, Bruce is a kid and he's talking to his mom mm-hmm. and she's saying something about how she wants a good life for him, right? Yeah. And I just think that that's Bruce halluc- hallucinating a perfect, a perfect life that he can reveal himself to somebody that he loves. And it goes along with what the what the Mad Hatter is doing with the um, with that hope play he's putting on. I'm trying to think. Did was there anything in there where Bruce like exposed himself to like those pills or some something like that that the Skurko was taking that would make him maybe hallucinate that way? Because I don't remember I him don't, taking anything. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's what makes it kind of weird. Like it, maybe it is real, but maybe it is fake. I don't know. <laughs> well, we got the answer to the Mad Hatter's background story, which we know was real. <laughs> maybe the Bruce Wayne. Thing with him revealing himself, will end up being fake. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, wasn't that so sad when he uh, he's idealized this girl? Yeah. Over long, and then uh, he goes over to their house, and then she's just a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute mess. Uh, it, that was just so sad. I mean, especially when he um, that whole thing with his parents, where his parents are telling him that we love you no matter what. You know, we love you even though you have this this disability. Yeah, which um, kind of makes me nervous as for what he did to them, maybe. <laughs> I'm feeling they're dead. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's just me. But, um, yeah, this issue was so sad for me, I mean, especially that scene with his parents where, you know, they, they take him to go see that doctor, and the doctor gives him that those experimental testosterone pills that will make him taller. And, you know, the whole thing with, with Alice, you know, um, subtly rejecting him, saying that, you know, he, I mean, in short, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but in short, that he's he's a freak because he's short and stuff like that. And, um, well, I don't know. I kind of got the feeling that she wasn't like that classic, like, uh, girl that you like who just turns you down because you're different or whatever. I think she really did yeah, like yeah. him as a friend, but just not in, like, a romantic relationship. Yeah, but like the basis is that she she doesn't want to be with him or seen with him. I mean, she she um or or Matt had her went to the dance to, to the uh, prom or the dance or whatever, and he puts um his hand in hers and then she quickly, you know, um, that's true. Yeah. Takes his hand out of her out of her hand and you know he, she obviously doesn't want to be seen with him in front of her friends or with anybody so. I mean, that part was sad, and then, you know, the whole thing with the parents, you know, where they're, um, they take him to go see the doctor, the doctor gives him the pills, and, you know, his parents are like, I don't think this is going to be right, I don't think this is uh, good for you, and they pretty much just leave it up to him, and, you know, just his father repeating that, you know, your mom and I love you, no matter what, no matter if you're short or tall or you're brown or you're yellow or you're black or whatever. We love you no matter what. And, you know, just the fact that he 
he gets rejected and he feels bad, even though his parents say that he loves him, uh, they, they love him and stuff like that. And you know, he just decides to take those pills anyway because he wants to be loved by somebody else. I, I just found that whole thing, that whole concept, just to be so sad. But yeah, I mean, I I love this issue from front front to back. Um, I didn't expect Mad Hatter to kill Alice at the end. Yeah, I mean, I just thought this was a very very sad issue <laughs> overall. So I'm probably gonna give this one four and a half out of five um, comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not. Glad you enjoyed it because I remember when this arc was first announced, you said you really don't care about. The Mad Hatter or any stories. I know, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I had no interest in the Mad Hatter whatsoever. But, I mean, it, it, it just goes to show Greg Hurwitz's, you know, how, how good of a writer he is. Because, I mean, he took a character that I just could care less about. That I thought was just a dumb villain. And made me care about him. So, yeah, it, it goes to show how good of a writer Greg Hurwitz is. Um, but for April 3rd... We have Batwing number 19 and Detective Comics number 19. Um, let's start with uh, Detective Comics number 19 because I'm so I'm itching to hear what you have to say, Tim. Wait, don't you mean Detective Comics number 900? I paid eight oh, bucks for it because. <laughs> right. Uh, sorry, sorry, Tim. Sorry about that. Uh, Detective Comics number 900, even though there's a big 19 on it. Um, okay. What did you think, Tim? <laughs> yeah, there was tons of problems I had with this book. But that being the first and foremost, that they're trying to make this the Milestone 900 issue of Detective Comics one. Really, it's not. This bugs me because when the New 52 started, oh, if we don't reset the numbers for Detective and Action Comics, no one's going to take it seriously. But yet, they're still trying to sell this as a Milestone issue when it's not. And even the whole story point where it's called the 900 and, like, the whole virus thing of the Mad Bats is happening in area in Gotham called the 900. It's just To me, it's just like a real cheap way of trying to make it something important when it's not really. Once you reset the numbers, it's not. And then this, and for so, trying to... So, I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, Tim, but the number 900, I mean, the fact that they've been consistently releasing uh, Detective Comics for 900 issues doesn't have any effect on you whatsoever. Not when it's like this, not when it's this is Detective Comics number 19 and it's been rebooted. Mm. I mean, I guess from, I guess from a, I guess, like a better word, historical front, yeah, it's good that this issue, this a comic book titled Detective has seen nine issues, 900 issues, but yeah. in the main series of DC Comics, this is number 19. They rebooted it. They said that's what they wanted, that they change and reboot. They can't have it both ways. And like I said, the whole, for this being, I'm trying to market it as a milestone issue. The story in it really wasn't good at all. I mean, the whole thing with the whole Man Bats, what I had a problem with it was that they're kind of changing more continuity stuff. Again, when they said before, most of Batman's history is going to be the same. And this kind of contradicts what happened in uh, uh, when Damien first made his appearance, Batman and Son, and Talia has all the Man Bats with, him, with her. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know the exact dialogue, but I'm pretty sure Kirk Langstrom had to come up from in dialogue between Batman and certain characters saying Matt Talia has gotten Kirk Lane from Man Bat Formula or something. Hey, but, can I can I stop you for a second? Yeah. I, I don't mean to interrupt. Okay. But if you go back and read Batman and Son and all that, uh -huh. like part of that storyline is that Batman is out of Gotham City. I think he's in Europe somewhere, and he sees Doctor Langstrom out, 
Okay. And he's like, what are you doing here? And Alfred sees him too and, and, and all that. And then that's when Talia shows up with the man bats. So like he already knew all that. Like not only was he mentioned, well, Langstrom was mentioned in the, those issues with um, the, the man bats and Talia. He was a part of those issues and that's completely redone. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say, cause so, I'm annoyed by that. Yeah. yeah you just <laughs> my point that now that doesn't, Batman, this is the first time Batman's encountered, uh, Kurt Langstrom, and this is like the first man that threat that he's happening, which I really don't like. I think he should have at least known who Kurt Langstrom is, but from before, like from Batman and Son, because that's still supposed to be in continuity, apparently, but now certain things are not. So this goes back to that. And whole he's thing. the world's greatest detective, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I think for Kirk Langstrom, he's is man bat. He should have been probably his first uh, battle against man bat would have been against him. And I was kind of worried that uh, he was just going to be never turn into Man-Bat. Now, this was the new 52 version of Man-Bat was going to be a bunch of people just turning into these bat creatures. So the one good thing about it was I like how it ended where he took the formula to kind of help save everyone from this virus, and now he's the only Man-Bat left. I guess he's going to be now the main Man-Bat villain, which I guess is okay because that's how I want it to be, but I just think it's stupid where this is the first time Batman has confronted Kirk Langstrom and he never heard of him or anything like that before. So, but then another continuity thing was that it looks like this is taking place right after death of the family because Bruce is talking to Alfred how no one's answering his calls, like Dick's not answering because they're still mad at him. But at the same time, we had the Requiem issue last time, which happened after Batman Incorporated with Damien's death. But then and during Batman Incorporated, it seemed like everyone's okay with each other. Batman and Nightwing, they're all working together. They're not really mad at him. So it's kind of having a hard time placing where all these stories are taking place. So, yeah, I just didn't enjoy this issue at all. And the whole Emperor Penguin thing, I'm getting sick of now. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, before, Jeez, I've been bashing on it since it began. <laughs> at first, when I heard Emperor Penguin, okay, that's stupid, but we'll see where it goes. Maybe it's interesting yeah. or something. But, yeah, I'm not really enjoying what this guy has planned. <laughs> I actually want to see the old Penguin come back, <laughs> which is saying something. As I just saw the other backup stories, there was nothing really great. I mean, the whole thing with Bane and the Court of Owls, Court of Owls is pretty cool, I guess. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, no, out of everything, really. that was the one I enjoyed the most. Really? Yeah, because like, the main story wasn't that great, and then everything else wasn't that interesting to me. And I could see where, I don't know, when I think about it, certain things weren't great about the Bane story, maybe just because I didn't enjoy everything else. That's why I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah. But I don't know. The whole thing with him and the Court of Owls, Court of Owls like, see, makes sense where he has to take them down as well as Batman in order to take control of Gotham. That makes sense to me. But I didn't really get the whole thing as far as they were trying to tie it back to his appearance in the Dark Knight comic story, which wasn't that good. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a ripoff of Dark Knight Rises. Um, you know, Bane and his guys going into Gotham to go steal a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. And then um, that, you see, what I didn't like about that, um, that part of the story was he picks up the Court of Owls guy and he breaks him over his uh, over his knee. And I just thought that that was like, oh, look, look what we can do. Look what we called back to. We called back <laughs> to Nightfall. Look how cool we are. And I just felt that that was just like... True, but I don't know. This part yeah. of me actually kind of like I thought that was kind of cool, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's no, like, well, I mean, it, it. yeah, they had to do it, but like it, it was cool to see Bane fighting those guys. I mean, I thought that was cool. <laughs> and I guess but, one other. But thing, like, I, I don't. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, 
actually someone uh, on Twitter brought this out to me with that the last page of the whole Bane story. I didn't pick up on it, but when he let me know about it, it kind of makes sense. The last page where you see the broken uh, owl mask and Bane's walking away, it's almost exactly how the Dark Knight Rises poster is, where yeah. Jack is toward walking away, you see the Batman cow broken up. I think that's probably... That's probably not a coincidence, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and what's the thing they're doing with um, this whole venom experiment? Yeah, because he said in the Dark Knight stories there was it was a new type of venom that's supposed to make you smarter. Oh, oh they're just calling back to that. Crap that's what story. I got out of it, but I don't know. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, Batman or Detective Comics number nineteen slash nine hundred. I was really disappointed by this. I think it's stupid how they're marketing it as nine hundred. So I'm going to go ahead and give it one and a half comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not out of five. The only thing that really saves it was uh, the art. The art was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to repeat what you said, Tim. And uh, my review is going to be really short. For what's supposed to be a, a milestone comic, the 900, what a piece of crap. What an utter piece of crap. Um, this was not worth the eight bucks. No. Not even for the art. Um, there's no redeeming quality in it, in it, and like like I've said for the last couple of podcasts, the Emperor Penguin thing it just isn't doing it for me. Neither is the Mad Bat Serum, or that Russian chick from Talon. This is just not doing it for me. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, John Layman has dropped the ball completely in um in what he's trying to do with Detective Comics. I mean, it it almost feels like um Tony Daniels run. I'm not going to go that far just yet, because he still had some good ones in between for me anyways. More of a hit and miss for me so far. Not completely gone off the deep end, I would say. (laughs) This has no redeeming qualities in it. I think I said that already, but um, I'll repeat it because it needs repeating. Um, If you're thinking about buying it, don't. It's not worth eight bucks. And like I said before, this was utter crap. I didn't like one story in it. James Tinian wasn't even good. Uh, which makes me kind of question his his qualities as a writer in um, kind of if you if, if yeah in Talon and oh, if you're going to connect that to Red Hood you know so yeah I just did not dig this at all but I thought that the best art was was um, was Andy Clark uh, for me in this book but other than that it's not worth any kind of money John Layman has dropped the ball so I'm going to give this zero out of five. Comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not. And, yeah, I'll, I'll be quick too. I kind of in agreement with you, Dane. I did think the Zaz Man Bat was pretty cool, uh, but other than that, this was a huge disappointment. Um, I, I'm especially annoyed. It's called Detective Comics because Batman's supposed to be the world's greatest detective, yet he doesn't know that Langstrom is the Man Bat. Even if you retcon it, then they have a, an article or not an article, but a segment where he's like doing all these. Uh, you know, speeches on it and giving these lectures about it and having all these formulas. So how does Batman not know that he's connected to to it? And then the whole Court of Owls coming after Bane. How, how does Batman never have heard of the Court of Owls and doesn't believe that they exist? So, I mean, it's just ridiculous for detective comics to have Batman so inept. Um, and then the Bane story really annoyed me. You know, you charge dollars for a comic, you make it 80 pages, and yet now i got to buy some Talon comic to find out how that story ends. Like, that's just, that just seemed like it didn't even feel like part of the issue it felt like how they used to put like a, a preview in the back of the issues of comics. They give you like the first couple pages to read. And so it just seemed utterly ridiculous. So yeah, I would give it zero out of uh, 
five or ten or twenty. It doesn't matter how many you want to put because I'm giving it zero um, comics that pretend to be a milestone issues when they are not. And hopefully a hundred issues from now, if Detective hits a thousand, they'll do something a lot better than this. So. Well, I thought I was going to have the lowest score with one and a half, but <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, but I, I, I kind of want to drop Detective Comics. <laughs> and, uh, I hate to do this, guys. i got to run, but um, hopefully you guys can do Batwing 19 without me and sign off. But uh, yeah. sorry, but I, yeah, i got to take off. But uh, all right, thanks a lot. Cool. Talk to you guys later. Later, Darren. See ya. Yeah, bye. Yeah, but I feel like dropping. Uh, well, I can't, I can't remember the last time you actually liked the. Detective Comics issue. I had to be probably before the 52. Yeah. Snyder maybe. <laughs> it's going back like two years. So you can't say you never gave it a chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've made the financial commitment to it. Um, I've read it on a regular basis since I was a kid, and I, ju- I just want to drop it already. If, I mean, first we got the Tony Daniels stuff with all of those weird villains he brought in. Which uh, John Lehman tried to bring in too, mm-hmm. in that one story. I mean, I did like some of his stuff. I mean, his first issue I thought was cool, where Penguin's trying to take over, get his name on there, and have someone try to assassinate yeah, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, but the thing about that is, I think it goes back to the bre- breath of fresh air kind of thing. Where uh-huh. I was like, oh, thank True. God, uh, it's Tony Daniels off this book. And compared to the Tony Daniels run, I would say that John Lehman's is a little better, but <laughs> I yeah. I just want to drop it. <laughs> I really do. So it'll be a tough decision next month, or not really? <laughs> You're just not gonna get it. No, I'm I'm gonna pick it up. Unfortunately, <laughs> maybe just get maybe just get it digital or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, this isn't the place to bring it up or anything. But uh, you went to WonderCon. Yeah, for about two hours. <laughs> for about two hours. <laughs> you just stood. Stood by your friend. Um, no, because he actually he had his own panel, which is pretty cool. And he, then he was able to kind of get a few passes. Yeah. And then I actually went because uh, this is real close to my parents too, so kind of they were able to go too. So I kind of waited for them. By the time we we're all ready to go, it was already late in the day. So <laughs> uh, we went to the panel. His panel was like already like five five thirty something like that, and the exhibit closes at seven. So yeah. we're at the panel for like a half hour, 40 minutes, and then after that, just walked, just walked a little bit around the show. Probably the highlight, uh, I was able to see Scott Snyder and Jim Lee signing autographs from like five feet away. So. <laughs> and you didn't get one? Well, there was a, there was a long line. But oh, I, I was nice. able to see him from there. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've seen Jim Lee. I've seen Scott Snyder. I can die now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I wasn't. <laughs> just to meet them or see them. <laughs> so, so you're telling me that you went to WonderCon with your parents? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> How many people bring their parents? Yeah, they, so, like, they're even asking me, "Do you think we'll be the oldest people there?" I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. There's, there's small people that go there, right, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> or did, My dad was did, saying because uh, he actually used to go to some like Beatle festivals and conventions. Yeah, like this is what this reminds me like some of the old Beatles stuff I used to go to. Oh, I see, but but just like comic book stuff. Exactly. So, like, yeah, it, it would be like BeetleCon. Oh. <laughs> People dressed up like the Beatles or trying to look like. And, and you would have like like vendors and stuff that sell like I guess Beetle. Yeah, bootlegs like old 
Oh, blue legs. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. He actually got there because uh, they still to this day haven't released the movie Let It Be on anything. Yeah. So they got like the bootleg video of Let It Be there. That's still the only copy we have. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. Oh well, at least you sound like you have a good time. And I have to say, your friend, uh, what's his name? Jason Palmer. One of the best artists I've ever seen. Yeah, he he <laughs> really is photorealistic. Yep. I mean his his Indiana Jones stuff. I mean it, it's it's like he took a picture of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and said, "I drew that." <laughs> yeah. yeah, he really is amazing. Like he did the Indiana Jones with Blu-ray, and he yeah. does a lot of Star Wars like uh, pieces for celebration. Oh man, his Star Wars stuff, <laughs> like his Padme, yeah, um, Padme uh, poster is it's unbelievable. I mean, she wears a lot of costumes in yeah. that, in that in those movies, and like. I mean, just going from picture to picture just to get, like, every single one of them. And, oh, man, that was, yep. it's it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> he really is. I, just, I wish he would kind of get more recognition because his name is – he's known around the industry, but not, like, I guess to a general public sense yeah. as far as – like, he is known, but not, I guess, at some level, I think, the level I think he should be because he is amazing. He hasn't done too many Batman stuff, but he did do a cool uh, Dark Knight poster. Or, yeah, he did the Joker, right? Yeah, like he's, where he has a jacket, he's showing off his bombs, but then you see cars yeah. coming out with like Bruce Wayne on there, Harvey Dent. Yeah, the, that, cool. that that was really cool. And like he, he did uh, character portraits, smaller character portraits of like like random people, like the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like Gordon and uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, I would. I would love to see him do a cover for, for like Detective or Batman yeah. or something like that. That would that would be amazing. Or even if it was like a, a prestige book, uh-huh. I would I would pay money just for that cover. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> David Hine could have wrote the story. <laughs> I would still buy it because uh, that guy's amazing. Yeah. So if anyone wants to check out his stuff, his website is jasonpalmer.net. But where you mainly see all of his art is uh, his Deviant Art page, which pretty much has a lot of the pieces we're talking about. So yeah. definitely check that out because his stuff is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he he should get like a license from uh, Lucasfilm and should put like some of his designs on T-shirts. Yeah, definitely buy it. I mean, I, I know he has the Serenity one, mm. but I, I would love to I would love to buy put put, put money down for a Star Wars T-shirt of yeah, his drawings right on it. But um. Like, 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 how did you meet him? Is that like a high school friend or something? No. Well, he's a, he's a lot older than I am. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I actually met him at a, actually at one of our church, uh, church. Like he actually just oh. came to our church one day, and then he was like kind of a friend of a friend, and he was there oh, for the first time, and we got introduced. Like, we kind of went out to dinner with my family, and then just when he said he was, he's an artist and he loves Star Wars, that was it. <laughs> like, the conversation you know started going. We are friends from yeah. that exactly. And then when, he, then when I found out he was into comics, I go, oh, what's your favorite superhero? Oh, Batman. Oh. <laughs> Surprised you didn't get down on one knee. He was like, will you marry me? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, man, yeah, definitely check out his art. His art is, I have no words. <laughs> I have no words to describe it. Uh, but anyways, Batwing. Uh, Number nineteen, a game changer. Yep. Um, first off, I mean Luke Fox. How do you think he'll he'll be as as the new Batwing? I mean, I I, I guess we can assume he's not to be working in Africa anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. I I actually think, well, you know, that's a good point. Cause I kind of thought he was, but then I would just yeah. remember that David said he still kind of do things his own way, but just not as part of Batman and corporate. So maybe he'll still be like the hero in Africa. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I thought I kind of had uh, just like a bittersweet issue for me because I thought the issue overall was great. I really like the stuff David was doing in the story. Just how yeah. he was kind of going after everybody and not showing like showing mercy but at the same time being more aggressive. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Batwing I wanted to see yeah. after the the um, the first run. Yep. And I wanted to see somebody that you know got stuff done violently, not you know trying to f- figure out the politics of it all. You know. Yeah, probably one of my favorite moments in this issue, because in the last issue, you kind of said, it's probably going to be time for me to kill again. And I thought yeah. that's where he was going to go, but I just loved how he said, I'm not going to do it in this suit. I don't want to disgrace the symbol that I wear as Batman. I just thought yeah. that was great, because he's honoring what Batman stands for, and he's not going to kill anyone. But at the same time, he feels that's what he's going to have to do as a hero, which is why he leaves Batman Incorporated. He's not going to be Batman anymore. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing is, I think Grant Palmiotti, Palmiotti, <laughs> I think they write a really good David. Yeah, uh, a David we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, and I mean, I would love to see. I mean, this isn't going to happen whatsoever, but I would love to see a spinoff book um, of of David's adventures where they'll they'll write it. I mean, I, I'd really like to see that because I mean, what is he going to do now? Yeah, I mean, is he is, is he going to be like a Matu kind of guy? Where he starts a starts up an orphanage, taking in you know child soldiers, or is he gonna find another identity and go out and fight crime in Africa? I mean, I I just really like to know what what's gonna happen to him. Yeah, same here. At the same time, too, uh, I kind of think did they really have to do this where they had to bring in a new Batwing? Because I guess that's one one side of me thinks yeah because. He, if he's going to set on doing things differently than Batman Incorporated is, and that's where his character arc's taking him, then yeah. But at the same time, maybe could they done something that could have resolved that, where he could have stayed with Batman Incorporated, got the new suit, and maybe just have a different outlook on things. Kind of what he showed earlier in this issue, where he's taking everybody down more aggressively, but not killing them. So yeah, I don't know which way really works better. I think just because I want to see him stay on. The, be part of Batman Incorporated, be part of this book as Batwing. I'd rather have him find some other way to figure out to stay with Batman and be Batwing. So, I don't know. It's kind of, But at the same time, too, I did like how the story played out where he felt he just couldn't do that under the Batman Incorporated name and not disgrace the symbol that Bruce has given him. Well, well I mean, I don't think it's only the name. I think it's, you know, uh, when you become a member of Batman Inc., you got to follow a certain exactly, yeah. set of rules, and he couldn't follow a certain set of rules in Africa because there's so much crime and mm-hmm. warlords and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, in, I mean, I don't want to say America, but like Gotham, <laughs> <laughs> um, the things are definitely different. And the, the Batman Inc. rules only pertain to, you know, like Europe or I guess Japan since we had that Japanese Batman and Gotham. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily work for Africa. Yeah. Yeah, which is his whole point, too, so... Yeah, yeah. I guess in the long run, I think it probably maybe was a good story choice anyway for his character to come to this realization. But, uh, yeah, I'm just going to miss him not being Batwing anymore. And I what, know. What kind of has me worried is, uh, I mean, I don't know nothing about Luke Fox and what his stories are going to mm-hmm. entail with him in it, but so far, his motivation doesn't seem like it's going to be as good as David's was to be, part of, to be Batwing, because really, yeah, he's cause doing he... this 
to because he wants to be part of Batman Incorporated. He's trying to get the attention of Batman. Yeah, and he just wants to beat guys up and stuff. Yeah, right. so not really a great motivation that David was. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I'm just worried that the book's not going to be. Yeah, because I mean, D- David had something to fight for. Yep. You know, his country, his life, his legacy. But like Luke Fox, on the other hand, it's, it's like it's like a young kid wanted to do this for like fun or something. Yeah, and you add that with the the whole. I mean, I'm not sure how they're going to play the Lucius Fox thing because it seems like he didn't want um, Luke to become a superhero, and I I don't know if that's going to be the 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 sort of drive and fight for Luke, but it seems like that's what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I'm not sure if if that's going to work in the same sense that, you know, David fighting for, for Africa, for the African people is going to... I'm not sure if it's going to work the same way that that worked. Yep. Know? Totally agree. I mean, he has two good things going for him. His name's Luke, which is the greatest name ever. <laughs> <laughs> so and if you ever have a kid, um, oh, yeah. Anakin or Luke? No, it's going to be Luke. Or Luke Anakin, <laughs> middle name Anakin. If you have a girl, Leah. <laughs> yeah, those names are already said. <laughs> yeah, so his name's Luke, and then that Batwing costume is awesome, oh, which yeah. I'm disappointed David's not going to use now. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there's um, some speculation, like on the internet, apparently that this is the prototype for the Batman Beyond suit. Terry that would be cool. Beyond suit. It does have but, that feel to it. Yeah, yeah, it really does. But um, I mean, going back to Luke taking over the the Batwing, um, the Batwing title, I guess you could say. Um, besides what you've said already, do you really think that this is going to work? Um, really, uh, right now I'm going to lead towards no. Yeah. Just from the few pages we've got of introducing us to Luke, uh, I was going to say Luke Cage. <laughs> Marvel. He's a kickboxer <laughs> in the UFC. But Luke yeah. Fox, I just don't see his story being as interesting as and good as David's was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but we, we never know. Exactly. I, mean, I didn't think I was going to like David. <laughs> True, yeah. Yeah, I remember when his first announcement went, really? This is the character we're going to use from Batman Incorporated to have his own title? Yeah. It's going to be like, <laughs> like a character we barely saw in Batman Inc. <laughs> But um, what did you think about, um, going back to David, what did you think about the, I don't want to say the overall story, but kind of David's progression throughout the 19 issues that we've got? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I thought it was great, especially going from the first arc to this one. But in the middle there and some of the other arcs, it kind of got away from that where he wasn't the main focus. And one of the Mm -hmm. things I complained about, he always had a team up or he was with other heroes and he wasn't the focus like the first arc was. But this last arc that we got was, and it was really good. So yeah. I think for the most part, his story arc was a success. For me, anyway. There's yeah, a character me, I really care about. Yeah, for me, it was like hit and miss for, for a little bit. The first one was good. I liked the character progression we got. But then he kind of fell off, like you said, because he wasn't the main point of the book. And I think the linchpin for this whole thing, David's whole 19-issue run on Batwing, was, the, um, was Matu dying. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, in the end, it was David trying to find who he was. I mean, especially after that traumatic childhood he had, you know, as a child soldier where he, he became a militant mass murderer. And what this book was building to was David finding out who he truly was. And 
I don't even think we got an answer in in uh, in this issue because we, we kind of really didn't because it was left very very vague with um, Matu telling him you know who are you yeah. you, you need to find out who you are and then something happens off page and then he gives up the bat suit or the bat wing suit and it's kind of left up in the air with with uh david saying that he he has to do things his way right yeah so it's like so, he doesn't I mean, really know exactly where exactly his life's going to go from this point but he just knows he can't do it and with batman incorporated that's like pretty yeah, much the conclusion yeah, exactly. they gave us so so David's gonna go and find him to find find out who he really is because he's never really had that realization of who he is. And it's kinda of funny because that's the story that I really wanted in the end. <laughs> we never got it. It's it's all gonna happen or not happen off page, which is kinda of sad. But yeah. I, don't, I was oh, gonna go say I really wonder what an editorial decision was to have a new Batwing. You know, I, I really I really think that they felt that David wasn't working in Africa wasn't working for Batman or or for Batwing, and they were just like, you know what? Let's just scrap this whole idea that that's two years old at this point, or almost two years old, and let's try to softly reboot this book. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a soft, soft reboot. That's a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, and like it's it's actually kind of sad because I mean, like I said, with with what. Uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray were doing in this last issue is what I really wanted to see, and now it's not going to happen. We're going to start again with with Luke Fox. I'm not going to. Say, I'm not saying that Luke Fox is going to be bad, or is it's not going to be as relevant or as important as David's story was. But we've had David for two years. Um, you know, he was right up front with with the New Fifty Two, and we're finally getting this. But it's not going to happen, and I. I feel kind of slighted in a way. Yeah, it almost kind of feels like it's a cancellation, but it's not a cancellation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, it feels like 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 Bowing is only Bowing in name. He's not in substance or yeah. in character. He's uh, just I don't know. I'm I'm just so unsure about um, about Bowing. But like, I I guess we can take what we've learned with. I mean, what we've seen from Jim Palmiotti and um, Justin Gray and and their talent, and we can apply it to Luke Fox. I mean, I I think we can kind of safely say that it's going to be okay, right? From this issue, yeah, from what they did in the main story in this particular issue, yeah, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll do a good job because this was a good issue. So yeah, hopefully yeah, it won't disappoint. But <laughs> for this issue, I guess to officially score it, I'm going to give it. Uh, wait, wait. But, before you score it, yeah. I just wanted to say, do you, do you think it was right to kill Matsu? Right? I, I'll say yes, because I thought it it was good for the story overall. I mean, yeah. in, in order for David to grow again more as a character and to, I guess, find out what his purpose is and what he wants to do with his life as a hero, he probably kind of needed that to move on and kind of do things for himself, I guess. He kind of reminded me of the Alfred from the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, where it almost seems like Alfred's a father to to Bruce, uh-huh. and I kind of got that vibe from, you know, um, from Matu and David. Yeah, I, I can see where you're going there, yeah. I can see that. Right. So, what are you going to say to him? I was also going to say, that was a kind of a rough moment, too, to, to read through seeing David and see being there when Matu actually dies and so on, and what he was to kind of really to say that this is not because of you, but because of the choices 
I'm me, like, this is who I am because of what I just like, not kind of like, it's not your fault, but like, you still have time to like, make your own choices. It was just, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I didn't get that the first time. I was like, yeah, it's not your fault. Or, I mean, it's, it's not your, yeah, it's not your fault. It's kind of David's because <laughs> he brought this upon you. <laughs> right? Yeah, then at the same time, like, oh, well, I chose to be, like, work with you and be in this situation. So, like, don't yeah, carry this yeah, burden. And, and then, like, through, through the second read-through, it was more like uh, he's pretty much telling David, like you said, that it's not his fault because he chose to be there. He chose to help David and stuff like that. So, man, what a great ending to Yeah. <laughs> To uh, David's story, um, what would you give it, Tim? I'm going to go ahead and give it a four out of five comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not. <laughs> I mean, it was great overall, but I just don't like right. the fact that David's not going to be Batwing anymore. Yeah, so it's kind like of sad. A bittersweet, bittersweet issue, I would say. Yeah, and I also, I also like the part where, um, I mean, I've said before on this podcast that I didn't like the whole Sky Pirate thing. Like how David just straps explosives onto yeah, the cool. <laughs> onto the ship and just blows it up. Yeah, that was a good way to like <laughs> that's a quick and easy way to bring down this big old ship. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm gonna give it four out of five uh comics that pretend to be milestone issues when they're not because it's kinda sad that we're not gonna get David anymore, even though the book is finally on track. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 kinda like getting the Clone Wars cancelled. <laughs> it's like it's Finally, oh, it's so good. I know, we're probably getting to the point where we're, what's going to happen to Ahsoka now, okay. Uh, yeah, Darth Maul's out there, uh, Mandalore is in shambles. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything else you uh, read? No, not as far as comics anyway, but I guess I'll just go ahead and mention right now that uh still have that uh, contest going that we're going out for the... Two copies oh, yeah. of the Batman Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2 on Blu-ray. Um, I think I said before that it was probably going to be in April when we'll have a winner, or not the winner, but I'm going to go ahead and extend it to the whole month of April, and then in May I'll say who's the winner is. So hopefully to get more uh, entries into the contest, just go ahead and leave us an iTunes review, and then once you leave the review, just send an email to contest at thebatmanuniverse.net with your review and contact information, and then they'll be entered into the contest to win the copies of the Blu-rays. All right. Sounds like a good deal, right? You just leave, leave an iTunes review, and you just get a get two copies of Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Parts one and two. Parts one and two. Yep. Unfortunately, they're not on one disc yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why couldn't they put it on one disc? I still think they will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for, for this show this week this episode <laughs> I don't know what the right word is this episode um, no this is episode 27 I was just thinking that's going to go with Detective Comics number 27 so maybe 75 years or so later this episode will be worth a million dollars for the uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say you're wrong Tim but <laughs> highly doubt it <laughs> um, so but anyway, the file and hang on to it <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways you, you can check out our whole site The Batman Universe At thebatmanuniverse.net On Facebook And on Twitter And you can find all those links On thebatmanuniverse.net And you can also Find us on iTunes And you can rate and review us And stuff like that And uh, Tell us if we suck Or if we're good Or 
If Tim sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the majority of the reviews. But yeah. if you say I suck, you're automatically disqualified from the contest. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. No, just kidding. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> um, just don't say I'm not. I'm a fake Star Wars fan, because <laughs> that'll definitely get you disqualified. <laughs> Tim will hunt you down and fight you. <laughs> With my toy lightsabers. With your toy lightsabers, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can find all the other Batman Universe podcasts on there, and you can rate and review all of those. And guess what, Tim? I don't know. What's coming next? <laughs> Dustin is on every single Batman Universe podcast, He's gonna except for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what that means, Tim? What does it mean? I think I know what it means. But he has a very extremely high midichlorian yeah, count. That's what I thought. <laughs> even higher than Master Yoda's, even though he's not the chosen one, according to George Lucas. No, not as high as Anakin's. Yeah. He's the second chosen one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also listen to Mike's podcast, um, the the Flash the Flash podcast, uh, with his brother in law, did you say? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, with his brother in law. Uh it's yeah. really good. You should listen to it. You can find it at uh flashbackpodcast.podbean.com, and you can also find it on iTunes if you just type in flashback podcast. Yeah, um, thanks for coming out too. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on. You know, it's always great to ha- have another voice. I mean, especially when Laura has better stuff to do than waste her entire Saturday on, no, on a bad man. <laughs> um, you can also send us an email with any questions or comments, and you can e- email us at batfans27 at gmail.com. So, with that said, I guess we're done here, right, Tim? Yep, this is the end for episode 27. This is the end, my only friend. <laughs> the end. You know, just, just bye already. God. <laughs> I, 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 I can't constantly think of <laughs> creative ways to end the show. I'll just say, don't be sad, everybody. Don't cry. Don't ever be sad. Because we'll be back here in two weeks doing this again. We'll be back here. Don't worry. We love you. Bye, everybody. Just stick with the classic. That's a classic <laughs> outro. <laughs> yeah, just a classic outro. Yeah, that that'll be good enough, right, Tim? Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Oh man, that was long. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a four-hour podcast, Tim. That was actually only three. <laughs> three and some change. Three and six. <laughs> oh. Of course, the first half hour was Terrence Ragged's mic. Oh, that's right. Me closing my emails. <laughs> What's the podcast about uh, some technical difficulties? Yeah. I, I, I did like how it flows. So did you really? Yeah. Uh, I think it's good to have the mind. So just well, it's a secret I'll take with me to my grave. It was you. I'm alone tonight, my tears can't fall